Blog Talk Radio.
judgment comes upon the law. No time to waste, run to the cross. Drunk for lies of this age. Feels too smart to believe. Trade their future for their lust. Blindly passion, they call you to join them. Fall into the order that Satan has designed. Men getting ready to sell their soul for a chance to receive his fire. Thank you for being such an awesome father, even when I, I'm having myself my little uh, freaked outedness. I don't know what to call it, but um, over my job and all the things that had just fell from the sky on top of my head all at once. And I just want to praise you for coming through uh, in, in unbelievable and perfect timing. It's, it's absolutely astonishing and it's amazing and I don't deserve it. And I just want to thank you in front of all of the listeners because you are that awesome. Thank you, Father. Sometimes, you know, Lord, when the uh, black walls of doom are closing in uh, and we can hear the gearboxes just, you know, in our subconscious uh, as as it all just, you know, closes in around us. Because we were commanded to watch ye therefore, to watch ye therefore, uh, lest, you know, we won't know that we're part of the fig tree generation, lest we won't know that we're to pray always, to be found worthy, to escape all of these things that are about to come upon the earth. And we praise you, Father God, for putting uh, an understanding. Uh, in our hearts to help us to be able to navigate the ambiguity, the weirdness, the lies that are so. I, I don't think I don't think the world has ever seen so many lies come out of so many people's mouths at the same time. Uh, it, 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 it in the history of the world, it is absolutely the most astonishing thing I've ever experienced, and it's awful. I don't like it, and I don't think very many people do like it. But Father God, we just praise you because we ask you for an abundance of your grace to be poured out upon us, and I mean an abundance of grace that is beyond anything I, I I don't even know how to ask for it Father I just know that you know what it is that we're asking for that that grace can overfill us that we can uh, get these injections of end times news reports uh, kind of um, I don't know how to put it but you know concatenated into a high speed transmission uh, so that we are on top of the commandment that you gave us to watch and be prepared for the days that we're in and we thank you also for God's healing 
Taylor Seven and Brother Dan, we thank you for the, the prophecy that you prophesied, my goodness, about five, six, seven years ago, telling us to look at the events that are happening around the world and to stop worrying about the prophecies, dreams, and visions. And Father God, we just thank you for that because that was a fantastic help for so many of us, uh, particularly after 2016, that we were able to re-anchor ourselves and look at the things that were happening. We can look at them now, and we know that we are getting so close. We, we you know, thank you for helping us to understand that we shouldn't write down in concrete what we think things are going to be like or what order they're going to happen in because you are a father who does relent who answers prayers and we need to be ready for just about anything for sure and we just give you all the praise and glory and honor father god thank you for the few days that you allowed me to have off to recharge a little bit and to get away from all of the sickening twisted upside down impossible to digest oh gosh awful ugly stuff and father god and help us to be able to uh, allow that to input into our hearts, but also to pass through us so that it makes a revelation in our hearts as to how close we actually are, which is what we need from an encouragement standpoint, but also to be and to be better prepared for the things that are coming, uh, you know, upon us, uh, but also uh, to have incredible hope uh, that um, any of our understandings of the timeline uh, may need to be discarded, that we may need to just be at the ready uh, and, uh, and, and, and help us to understand what that actually means. And we also pray, Father, in the name of Jesus, that if there are any of us out there, and I'm sure that there are, that are having trouble sleeping, um, even when you do take, even when we do take, you know, um, things like valerian root or whatever to help us sleep a little bit better, Father, we just pray in the name of Jesus. And we come against anything that would cause our subconscious mind to keep us awake at night uh, because we don't have control over our subconscious mind, Father. So we're just going to pray and ask you in the name of Jesus to anoint our bedrooms, to anoint our sleep, to anoint our heart, our mind, our soul, our flesh, our record-keeping books in heaven, our robe and gown in heaven. Fill us with your anointing, Father God. Raise your glory upon us that we will sleep like your scripture promises that we ought. In the name of Jesus. Jesus, we come against any thoughts that don't belong there and only uh, fill our hearts with, un, with, with, with trust that can't be, it's unstoppable. We want unstoppable trust, Father God. We want trust in you that it goes beyond the implication of the scriptures in Proverbs 3, 5, Isaiah 26, 3, and so many other places, Father. And we're asking you to pour that out upon us in a grace anointing that we have never experienced in our entire walk. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray and thank you. And now to him, our Lord Jesus, who's able to keep us from stumbling and present us faultless before the presence of your glory, Father, with exceeding joy. And to you, Jesus, our Lord, and you, our Father, who alone is wise, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power, both now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen.
Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Well, <laughs> um, as usual, of course, you know, really, it really wouldn't matter if I had taken a couple of days off like I did or not. The amount of news is always going to be utterly overwhelming from this point forward. I already know that. Um, there hasn't been any respite or, in, in fact, if anything, increase. Noteworthy increase in the amount of um, apocalyptic news. Uh, I'm not in the least bit uh, surprised. I do know that there are some uh, prophecies that my sister, who's very well known for doing such things, is sending out, suggesting that there's going to be a, a you know a, a big change occur. You know, right? It's kind of like these uh, prophecies, dreams, and visions that we've been listening to for years and years about how the Pope and the Clintons and everybody's going to get arrested and they're going to be taking to Guantanamo and blah, 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 blah. So anyway, um, I, I personally don't perceive any change myself in the forward progression of the end times uh, and the end times events. Uh, it appears I haven't seen a deviation from it, not once. If you have, please do email me at jbaptist777 at gmail.com. And uh, please be kind, because if you are not, I will block you, and you will never talk to me again. Ha-ha! <laughs> Hallelujah. All right. Thank you, Jesus. Now, anyway, um, so, uh, yeah, we're, we're you know, the end times events are overflowing, and they become, you know, I'm, I'm at a loss for words, so I'm just going to simply say words that don't make any sense, but I'm going to make them up. Anyway. Because I'm a consultant and I'm allowed to make up boards and I charge you more money. That's how it works. Okay, but we are we're overflowing with an abundance of end times headlines that you you can't you can't undo the three thousand piece puzzle. I mean, it's just too much. And trying to put things in a, in a particular order and everything. I mean, you know, we've got as as has been reported consistently on this program every single time. We've got. Um, Really, it seems like endless reports of World War III and progression toward World War III. Now, in all fairness, so did we back in 2010. Back in 2010, we were getting reports of Chinese troops in Laredo. We were getting reports of all kind of reports. Don't even get me going on Jade 12, uh, you know, Jade Helm in 2012. I mean, every single conspiracy theorist, conspiracy factualist in out there, which are gazillions, um, were like, this is it. This is it. This is a setup. This is World War III, World War III. The Fifth Fleet went into the Mediterranean. I don't remember how long ago that was because of some fuss going on in the Middle East. And once again, nothing happened. Um, do Are there more indicators? Are there more? Is there more of a convergence of data from multiple disparate sources on a global level that are 
pointing to these events occurring very, very soon. Highly credible. You know, like that one guy I played a couple of times who was, you know, he claims he was a, uh, a uh, you know, he worked for the federal government and his job was essentially a type of an accounting job. And he kept track of military expenditures and he said, you know, he just went over them. That's what he does. And I guess he hobbies with it right now. Who knows? Uh, or he could still be working there. But he came out and said, we're up to, you know, we're up 13 percent. He said, this never happens. He said, the only time that you ever see this kind of an increase in military spending is when there's going to be a war event. And then, of course, we know that the White House called up the reserves. And then, of course, that comes with that's a loaded statement because it comes with it. You know, it's iterative. OK, so it starts out with the with the reserves that are on ready reserve and then it goes deeper and then it'll start. They'll start calling in uh, all kind of people, um, you know, except for the ones that are old and decrepit like myself and getting, you know, their knee operated on on Tuesday. You know, I, I was told by my brother, Joe. I call him my brother-in-law, Joe, but he's really my cousin-in-law. That's the penalty that you have to pay when you are born 20 years later than your sisters. But anyway, he told me, he told me, oh, yeah, you'll be in and out. You'll be playing tennis that night. Um, you know, it's no big deal. Uh, as soon as you get the meloxicam, all the pain will go away. Well, the meloxicam does work really well. But, um, uh, yeah, the whole rest of it, I don't know what degree his meniscus tear was but obviously it's nothing like mine i have not one but two and evidently they're way worse than his was uh it has to be the case because there's every single thing that my surgeon the physician's assistant the surgical coordinator both at the doctor's office and at the surgical facility none of it matched um, and none of it definitely matched with my brother-in-law's statement, you know, about, oh, it's going to be no big deal. You'll be in and out, blah, 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 blah. Now they're all, you know, it's, it's just, now it's just different degrees of how much agony I'm going to be in, <laughs> you know. Oh, your whole leg is going to swell up. You're not going to, you know, and I got to get upstairs. I mean, my office is upstairs. So one way or the other, I'm getting up those stairs. I don't care if it kills me. All right. And then what's, it's so confusing. I do not understand any of this stuff. The, the lady was like, what do you mean you haven't had any other surgery? I'm like, I haven't. I mean, unless you want to go back to when I was five years old and got my tonsils out. You know, and they're like, you know, wow, you know, kind of like I'm some sort of a spectacle. And, and they let me out of a back room at the Smithsonian or something. But anyway, I'm, I'm like in a state of complete befuddlement because one person says it's going to be absolutely agony, uh, you know, the first day and blah, 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 blah. And the other person, oh, no, 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 no. And all this kind of stuff. And I don't know who to believe. So I, so I'm just kind of going with the flow. I figure it's going to, you know, suck balut like lots of things to do. And that's just how it's going to be. And I, I don't know what to expect after that. Um, I just want to get it over with. And I don't want to have, you know, and I want to get back on the elliptical trainer. I want to get back on my uh, 16 by 8 intermittent fasting. Uh, you know, I've, I've got plans to, you know, because right now at the age of 61, that's it. You're at the Y in the road. You either get physical or you die. Oh, but I have a lot of relatives that lived to be in their late 70s and early 80s, and they're 83, and they didn't, they never did. You know, let me tell you something. I got a lot of relatives, too. And if you take the gen, if you look at the general population as a, I mean, um, you really have to generalize, because it's not applicable to everybody, no. But when you generalize across the population demographics, as a general rule, when you hit the age of 60, you have to make a choice. There's a Y in the road. 
And that Y in the road, one side of the Y is pointing to a walker and an oxygen tank. And the other Y in the road is pointing toward get off your fat butt and get on that elliptical drainer because that's going to be the difference between everything. It's going to be everything. Uh, and um, I, I have relatives that are living, walking proof of this. Um, one of them is about five years younger than me, and she's – her prognosis now is probably down to three more months of life. Now, I pray that, you know, that the Lord – and I plead the blood of Jesus to heal her uh, and to keep her going, um, you know, but – also to forgive her for anything that she may need forgiveness for, and I pray over her all the time, uh, just in case. Uh, but anyway, um, so it's funny because – it's not funny, because, but it's, it's oddly apropos to take note that as I look across my five nieces, one of which died of murder, Fauci murder, Gates murder, uh, uh, you, know, you know, she was murdered by the ventilator. That one of the most renowned uh, teaching hospitals in the whole wide world doesn't mean anything. They're all a bunch of robots. They're deadly. Anyway, um, whatever. So, um, you know, I can see all of this happening in my family. I can see – I know what happened to my mom. Died at 56. I, I, it's just so deeply ingrained as a part of my life that I know that I know that I know as much as I know that Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior, I know that if I don't start getting on that elliptical trainer every day and stop pussyfooting around, I'm going to be staring at a walker. It might not be right away, but it's coming. All right. Praise God. So, um, yeah. I just figure Tuesday's going to suck. Monday night's going to suck real bad, too, because uh, they won't let me drink water. And I had one of my um, blood pressure medications. It's called Clonidin. Clon- Some say Clonidine. Who cares? But at the end of the day, um, it makes you very thirsty. You can look it up on WebMD or whatever. It's at the very top of the list, and pretty much everybody gets you know dry mouth from taking it. Anyway, uh, that's not good because uh, if I go in for my surgery – and my BP is like pounding at 265 over 120, no operation. And I got to go through all this mess again. So I have got to make sure that I take my BP meds, I'm just going to say abundantly, because they, they are essentially as needed, okay? Although they're, you know, the normal thing is three times a day, okay? And that's what I anticipate doing is the normal thing. Okay, which is great, and they told me I could take my meds, so praise God for that. Um, but at the same time, all I can do from midnight on, you know, midnight Tuesday, which is when I, I got to get operated on, um, until it's all over, is I got to like swish water in my mouth and spit it into a bucket or something. That is going to be. That may very well be the most challenging thing I have had to do physically in a very, very long time, because. Folks, if you haven't lived through it, you're not going to relate. Simple as that. The dry mouth that Clonidin gives you is clinical. You will, you know, it's just awful. You can't even, 
Oh, I, I can't give you words to describe it because it is not describable. <laughs> so I'm going to be up all night, Monday night, or whatever, Tuesday morning, real early, swishing water and spitting it into a bucket because I'm not going to be able to sleep because I've got to swish water and spit it in a bucket. Oh, well, whatever. Praise God. Maybe the Lord will, you know, have mercy upon me or whatever. Praise Jesus. Kids, are you ready? Let's move through this. Let's see how far we can get with all these reports of the end times. It's unbelievable. Kids. You ready? Kids, how can you tell if there's old rabbits in the group? How can you tell if there are old rabbits in the group? You look for any gray hairs. Gray hairs, rabbits, you get it, don't you? Come on. Ah, ah, there we go. All right, I'll take it. Praise God. What do you call a line of rabbits hopping backwards? Well, there's a lot of rabbit ones here. Cool. I like rabbits. Um, what do you call a line of rabbits hopping backwards? A receding hair line. <laughs> okay, don't be looking at me like that, Spanky. I know what you were thinking. Okay, what did one egg say to another egg? Heard any good yolks lately? Heard any good yolks? Oh, after last week. And for those of you who got the uh, notification emails that had all of the detailed breakdowns of the things that I was going through last week, you would um, intimately understand uh, why I just needed to take time off. Um, It was... uh, I don't know what kind of anal- an analogy you could – I guess the analogy would be something like I – don't, I don't even know if this is a real – something real to compare as an analogy. Probably not. But imagine if you were sitting – if there was like really icky, really super icky, disgusting stuff that stank real bad, and it was up in your attic, and you had one of those pull chains to go up into your attic, you know, where the ladder comes down? kind of like in, in uh, Christmas Vacation with uh, Chevy Chase. All right, like that. And you were standing underneath it, but there was a whole bunch of really disgusting, stinky, horrible, icky, gooey stuff that it takes you like a week to get off you. And then you pull the chain, and the whole dag-nabbit thing comes down on your head at one time. Okay. I don't know. That's kind of a crummy uh, analogy, but I think you get what it – it just all – it was like – everything in me at one time and I said okay I need to take some time off and then of course you know oh and then oh gosh as soon as they got the okay from United on my they needed to get the pre-off oh it was like the heavens opened up they were sending me emails at like nine o'clock and I'm like trying to get to some sleep I'm not like sitting there waiting for them to send me an email and then the next day I wake up and they're like oh we thought you were coming over at nine o'clock to pick up this packet it's got a lot of really important information in it. and I'm like when did you tell me that there was a packet <laughs> it's just absolute insanity but anyway turns out never had to go to get the packet in the first place they could have stuck it in an email and sent it to me the whole time which is what they ended up doing I, okay but anyway praise God thank you Jesus I like I said I'm uh, looking forward to Thursday. Thursday is when I think, oh, gosh, I think they want me to go back in for a follow-up visit Thursday. Uh, I don't want to do that. Oh, well. Anyway, praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Now, let's go ahead and go into the news. And boy, is it, well, as you might guess, pretty much out of control. Here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention, please? It's not normal. It's just wrong. Uh, it's not normal. 
Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Okay, so uh, I'm going to hit these things hard. I'm going to hit them fast. Some of them are audio bites, as they usually are, because, you know, for I'm not going to get into the sociological reasons why I play other people's audio bites. It's, it just goes better that way. Now, um, you probably already know about this. That's okay. We're going to hit it. It is front and center, and it is exceedingly important. And that is... Breaking news, and it's been breaking for a couple of days now. Jack Smith has indicated that Trump for January 6th, that arrest is uh, imminent. Okay, or I'm sorry, uh, Jack Smith has indicted, sorry, my bad, Trump for uh, January 6th and arrest is imminent. Reading reading concatenated headlines sometimes gets a little choppy. But anyway, um, uh, so, and also I got a report um, for what it's worth. Uh, It's it's hearsay, but nevertheless, uh, somebody had gone to, I believe it was some kind of a Pennsylvania Trump rally, which supposedly had like more people in it than like a John Bon Jovi concert or something. It was insane. But anyway, um, uh, the report from that rally was that Trump evidently had I don't know if he said it precisely, but the person who tweeted the information seemed to believe that Trump had strongly indicated that they were going to try to put him in jail this time. Okay, so we'll see what happens. Um, And to the best of my understanding, unless they prove that he was truly – I'm not going to get into all the details. It's highly unlikely that any of this stuff is going to make any difference. Um, what Now, what Alex Jones said on the prior show, that will make a difference in a big, big way. Praise God. All right. Now, next one up. Hallelujah. Breaking. The DOJ is attempting to arrest Devin Archer just hours before he's scheduled to testify on Monday about the Biden corruption and foreign influence peddling scheme. Okay, and so they're all going nuts about that. Now, I will tell you, before I play these audio bites and only part of them, uh, that the uh, lawyers for this Devin person, who I do not know and don't care to know, um, uh, have come forward for what it's worth. And again, it's anecdotal. We don't know if it's true or not, but it has been reported on the social media grapevine that, according to the lawyers, he is going to show up for the deposition or whatnot. So anyway, we'll see what happens. It's it's absolutely – everything that's going on right now is incredibly out of control. Nothing is trustworthy. Uh, These are are flaming lies from Satan's mouth every direction we turn. All right, praise God. Thank you, Jesus. But we're just going to have to sort it all out as we go. All right, let me see if I can play a little bit of the snippet of this. I don't want to play the whole thing. All right, praise God. Here we go. I want to ask you about your investigation, but first, let me get to this breaking news. I have in my hand a letter from the Department of Justice that was sent to the Southern District of New York on Saturday. Uh, by the way, Devin Archer is testifying on Monday. Do you ever see, do you usually see the DOJ send letters like this out on a Saturday? Never, never. This is the first time I've ever heard of the Department of Justice doing anything on a Saturday. So what is this letter? Can you walk us through it? Uh, The government is uh, apprising the court of the status of Devin Archer's appeal of his judgment of conviction, and they request 
that the court set a surrender date for the defendant to report to a facility. All right. So, you know, we could we could let them throw spaghetti at the side of the barn. Nobody knows. You know, Matt Getz came forward uh, on social media and he said the DOJ is now actively committing the crime of obstruction of congressional investigation. And of course, he he sees it to to McCarthy and James Comer and Jim Jordan. Uh, It says if Devin Archer isn't in the witness chair Monday, we better haul every blankety blank uh, at the DOJ before Congress every day to make them pay for this. And then again, um, they have another person named Miranda who uh, has all kinds of details, including letters and everything else uh, from the DOJ supporting this event. Okay. So, you know, it's the same game they play. If, you know, bottom line, if, it, if they can't arrest them, if they can't throw them in jail, if they can't trump up charges, if they can't make up a false flag, then they're going to kill you just like Obama did that, that his chef. Okay. But anyway, that's a whole other thing. And yes, he did. He did. He killed him. All right. So anyway, um, uh, Catherine Herridge uh, at CBS, uh, evidently she's a CBS correspondent. I don't know, but she says that she's been told, it says, we are aware of the speculation that the Department of Justice, uh, Justice's weekend request to have Mr. Archer report to the prison is an attempt by the Biden administration to intimidate him over the events of his meeting with the House Oversight Committee, blah, blah, blah. It says, to be clear, Mr. Archer does not agree with that speculation. In any case, Mr. Archer will do what he has planned to do all along, which is to show up on Monday. Now, what do you think they're doing with him right now? They're explaining to him the different body parts that they will cut off his kids if he doesn't do what they say. That's it's, it's why I call it the Global Santana Crime Syndicate. They act exactly like Goodfellas. It's, it's how, how it operates. It, they do that stuff. They really do. They And I'm not going to get into it, but if you haven't caught on to that by now, and there's a lot of people that are in a state of denial. I get it. I understand the five uh, stages of uh, grief. And really, when it comes to waking up to things, it's the same thing. You have to go through a lot in order to be a lot of emotional swings, a lot of overcoming, uh, and it takes time. Yeah, and a lot of people can't they they can't do it. They can't accept it. It's just too far beyond it anyway. And most of us understand that because we have relatives, we have friends, we have people out there that we've tried to reach, explain to them these things are real, and we get that rolling eyes thing or oh, that's just a bunch. That's got to be uh, you know, photoshop. That's I every time I hear the word photoshop, I just want to get a wiffle ball bat and go bam and hit somebody on it. But got to be a good Christian. Uh, whenever I go out and meet with my family up in Pennsylvania, I, we have the chief debunker, and he's always at the ready to debunk. And, um, well, anyway, I have fun with him. I just tell the rest of the family, oh, uh, the family debunker is here. Let's listen to what the debunker, the family debunker wants to say. <laughs> See, I actually um, stayed overnight at my one sister's house, and uh, we were talking about some things over breakfast. And I mentioned something that went outside of his comfort zone. And I saw the terror in his eyes. That's the problem. These people that do the debunking, most of the time, it's because they're horrified. They cannot. They're horrified. They just cannot accept it. All right. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Next one up. I just heard about this tonight. Is it real or is it a Jade Helm thing? We don't know. Let's see. Operation Sandman will happen overnight. Okay, so what these people are claiming, and I hold it with a grain of salt nowadays, uh, it may happen, maybe. I, I'm kind of not feeling this one. It might. It might. 
But anyway, it says, for those who don't know, Operation Sandman is a collaboration of 100-plus nations in agreement to simultaneously sell off their United States Treasury holdings and sell them back to the United States to collapse the United States dollar. Now then, while that is a true statement, I'm talking about getting rid of your U.S. Treasury bonds and the impact that it would have on the United States, um, you know, dollar, whatever. They got to sell them to somebody or they're going to have to hold them. Get it? So I – this one ain't passing the sniff test for me very good. But they are announcing it out there and saying, Operation Sandman, you're going to wake up the next day and it's all – I believe we will wake up the next day. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what the trigger is going to be. I don't know what the big red lever is going to result in. I don't know. Is it going to be an EMP? Is it going to be a cyber war event that, you know, total false flag that comes from Langley, okay, and attacks and takes down our power grid? Uh, You know, that's what I think. I think Alex Jones is probably right. It's probably going to be something along that line. And you think about the airplane, it's making more sense every day. All right, praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Also, uh, I would like to play this for you, um, but we don't have enough time. Maybe I'll roll it forward till, um, let me see here, Wednesday, if I, as long as I'm not, you know, affected in a noteworthy and negative manner uh, at that point from the surgery. I doubt it. Uh, but uh, we'll, uh, I want to play it for you because it, it, it impeaches uh, Elon Musk. Now, you remember, I always have my crows handy because, uh, you know, I, I will say, you know, hey, I, I, think, I think the person looks... Okay, I got you, I got you, and I'm ready to eat you anytime now. I got my spoon, my fork, I'm ready. I'm ready. All right, but anyway, um, you know, and... I always want to see the best in people if I can. Well, recently things have gotten spookier and spookier, and people are kind of blowing whistles here and there, and it's looking pretty bad. I did say, I don't know how long ago, maybe six months ago or something, I said something like, oh, this whole purchase of Twitter is probably just, you know, like putting peanut butter and walnuts inside of a rat trap so that they can suck us all in, get all of our names, numbers, and subpoenas and all the things that they need to to put us on whatever list they're going to put us on and then just kill us all. Because they do that kind of stuff. They're very, very seething evil. So anyway, I'll play this information for you. I mean, there's a lot of things that we've been talking about with uh, Joy Jeffries Pugh and Brother Zen Garcia and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, And, uh, you know, it's true. Um, I just always hope that there might be a spark of light out there somewhere. Uh, probably ought to give that one up. All right, praise God. Thank you. <laughs> Don't get me going. But anyway, praise Jesus. I'm going to go ahead and play this. This is an excellent um, summary. Now, it's not real long. It, it, it is kind of long. It's four minutes, but really good four minutes of time. Okay, so Colonel Douglas McGregor, who is the top military um, confidant, of Trump, military advisor to Donald Trump when he was in office. Good pick. This guy's a genius. Um, He's going to summarize uh, pretty much what's going on over in the Ukraine right now, minus a few things. So let's go ahead and play this. And also, once um, Brian, uh, Brother Brian Gadawa, uh, he's he's an author of many books, which, by the way, explains the uh, title, you know, the best summary I've ever done on Nephilim and Watchers with Brian Gadawa. He's going to be talking about us. Now, he writes, you know, fiction books, but, you know, we all know, we all ought to know why fiction books are fiction books. 
Fiction books allow you to share what you think in your heart, what you've been led to believe in your heart, without having to follow the scrutiny of having every little detail, right? Which, by the way, is the same technique that Tom Horn and Steve Quayle and other people use to get across information that would be considered to be highly controversial. All right, let's go ahead. Uh, so anyway, I, I'm excited to hear what he has to say. But if we have enough time after uh, his appearance on the program, the guest segment, uh, then uh, we'll hopefully, you know, maybe if we have enough time, we'll, we'll go ahead and finish the news as we have in the past. All right, this is Colonel Douglas McGregor giving us the – he's given us a lot of information in this little ditty, so I'm going to go ahead and play it. Here we go. It's much more than just the Ukraine war. The people that are today arguing for globalism were very similar to the people that wanted us to go to Vietnam. Walt Rostow and his brother were advocates for going into Southeast Asia with a goal of building a new nation uh, on the foundations of South Vietnam. Uh, we've been going through this process off and on much longer than people realize. And what they were always interested in doing, and particularly today's group, is erasing national identities. They're convinced that the way to future utopia is to create a place where no one knows what or who they are, except, of course, the globalists at the top who know that they're in control and ruling the world. Uh, so that means you have to destroy uh, national identities, destroy borders, effect effectively subvert populations from within by convincing the majority population in any country that there's something wrong with them, that they can only improve in control of their borders and inviting millions of people into their country who are radically different from them to dilute their identity, change their identity, and ultimately erase any semblance of identity. I think that's a very important concept that most people in Europe don't understand. I don't think we in the United States get it. But if you look at the policies that we've been pursuing, it, it makes excellent sense because the policies that we are pursuing are suicidal. They're designed to destroy us. Open your borders, vet no one, let everyone come in and disperse into your population. Then you create internal divisions and fights and wars and conflicts within conflicts, and you have chaos. Chaos then allows those with vast quantities of money like Soros, who are at the top of the pyramid, to exert absolute control. Now, of course, from his perspective, Soros would be at the top of the pyramid, but we know who's at the top of the pyramid. Uh, <clears throat> can't wait to see that entity get kicked in the lake of fire. But I can't believe the Lord lets him back out during the new millennium. <clears throat> oh, well. Anyway, I don't know. nobody understands the new millennium. The closest we've ever gotten to getting a glimpse of it was an LV Zapata uh, program that we did over 10 years. Was it 10 years, eight years ago? Uh, and uh, there was a lot, lot more going on than I think anybody's wildest imagination could have imagined. Uh, personally, after all the stuff that we're going through, if there is an option to kind of like hang out inside of the New Jerusalem and just kind of, I don't know, <laughs> play Yahtzee or something... <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe that's the option I want. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. All right. Now, the next thing I'm going to play for you here is a CBS Saturday morning segment. Believe it or not, CBS Saturday morning. And I'm just going to let you hear it with your own ears. Try not to fall off your chair. 
environment. But climate researchers say bugs could be a game changer in the fight to protect the planet in ways you may not have imagined. Tina Krause has a story from London. Adding some insects to the mix is customary in the kitchen in some parts of the world. Now climate experts think that protein-packed pests could offer a real solution to the global food crisis. Scientists in Germany are not pushing to get the critters on your plate. They see another benefit. Our interest is to make uh, insects as an alternative for the use of soybean-derived proteins. Large-scale growth of soybeans has been blamed for extensive deforestation. Since farming insects takes less land and water, these researchers believe bugs could become the livestock feed of the future. I'm still having trouble with John Baptist, uh, the, the real Johnny Baptist. <laughs> Locust and honey, that don't work for me. <laughs> Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. I would much rather have, you know, the fettuccine Alfredo with scallops and shrimp and maybe a little bit of lobster. All right. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Or maybe a really, really good filet like at Fleming's or Ruth's Chris, you know, uh, a la Oscar is what you want to ask for. It has a, oh, just a lovely cream sauce and uh, oh, yum, yum. All right. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Next one up. So, uh, New York Post uh, has a headline. It says, award-winning ABC journalist who debunked Pizzagate pleads guilty in horrific child pornography case. Anybody surprised? Well, what is interesting is that that chef that was working for the Obamas, evidently they, some people had used a Wayback Machine and, ha- and somehow were able to capture some old um, social media post that that man had posted – and they were speaking unfavorable about the, the Obamas. Boy, is that a – wow. It was like – the word evil was used, um, yeah, that Pizzagate was real, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So um, anyway, so all right. Next one up. Hallelujah. Here we go. All right, Safari Campbell, Barack, and Michelle Obama's personal chef dead after drowning in Martha's Vineyard in three foot of water. An expert swimmer. How could it be? Oh, but boy, does the plots thicken. It says ISN, another post. Uh, they got these individual journal, uh, independent journalists that post things and look into things in the background, which I don't have time to do. Uh, it says uh, has learned that Barack Obama invoked his right to remain silent and refused to speak to police investigators, according to the trusted. Sources, police investigators were turned away at the door. Says this report isn't uh, developing. Another person posts, Obama daughters admit that they were with Tafari Campbell on the lake. Hmm, interesting. It keeps on developing. Another one uh, posts here, rescue personnel retrieved Tafari Campbell's body, say that they observed blunt force injuries to his head. His face was all messed up like he was in a brawl with someone, and said a member of the uh, uh, aired guard Garden uh, Police Department under condition that they their name may not be used. So they just said a member of the police department leaked a little information. Another report says Google is quiet, quietly deleting pictures of Obama paddle boarding so that they cannot, you know, get suspicious, that kind of a thing. But the king of all suspicion 
is this report. By the way, it's all over. It's all over social media. It's unblocked. I mean, you cannot miss this. But basically, what it is is that Obama has been photographed out on a. This is like dumb as a dog turd. I mean, I'm sorry, but that's just. But evidently, he was photographed uh, with uh, telephoto lenses out on a golf course with a black eye and a really messed up hand with bandages on it. Um, Oh, well, whatever. Um, We know what Glenn Beck thinks, and we'll just keep on moving forward. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, hallelujah. Um, uh, Another headline reads, Former White House chef, 61, drowned during fatal hike in New Mexico, autopsy reveals. And by the way, this is the chef of none other than Hillary Clinton. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I don't think she likes being talked about. Uh-oh, the the red phone's ringing. Let's uh I hate picking this up. Uh, gives me the chills. Hug. Uh. Fox more Baxicaba. Ed Chivotne Chivunte. She didn't sound very happy. <laughs> oh, boy. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. All right. Next one up. Oh, by the way, if you have children in the room, um, I'm sorry. I, I'm going to do something that I don't normally do because that's just how horrible things are out there. So when I talk about being traumatized, people will ask me. There are new listeners that don't know my testimony, and quite frankly, my actual official testimony was so many years ago, it doesn't have a lot of this stuff on it. But in a nutshell, the Lord led me to study this stuff 15 years ago. Satanic ritual abuse, what they do to the babies, carving them up and handing out their organs, all of this creepy, horrible things, the the eating of the flesh, the drinking of the adrenal chrome. None of this is new to me. But I did have a – as I was learning these things, I – and boy, I'm taking like two years of time and smushing it down into like you know 30 seconds. But basically I hit a point where I – the horror was so horrible – that I literally collapsed on the ground outside of my office at about 1.15, 1.30 a.m. in the morning, and I, I don't know, had a miniature nervous breakdown. I was heaving, crying, bawling so hard, and so it was a heave. It was like the whole body was leaning into the cry, and I couldn't get up. I could not get up. Now, eventually, it worked its way out, and I was able to get up, and I don't remember what happened after that, but... Um, it, it, it is, it's a, it's a continuous trauma. These are things that you do not want to relive. You do, you wish you could unhear them. You wish that you could unread them and you wish you could remove the imagery from the photographs that you were shown, but you can't. What you can do is try to not relive it. And unfortunately, because I have to do this radio show, I am reliving it, and it is traumatic, and it's awful. Okay, now that, when you combine that with what I went through uh, back in 2018, late 2017, early 2018, with the police and the person that tried to, the person that was demon-possessed that tried to kill me, that was sent sent to the house as, a, you know, uh, from a witch coven and all that creepy weirdness, and I mean, I was, I got photographs. 
The, poli- the, the police had no doubt in their minds. They, they, they arrested her. They put cuffs on her. They threw her in the back of the car. And then, of course, I knew it was demons that were possessing her. So I went down to the estate attorney's office and pleaded that they would let her go because it wasn't really her fault. Okay, it's the demons. But anyway, that's all right. Uh, you know, it, it, it's all trauma, and it all adds up. And that's just a touch. That's just, you know, those are just a couple of the big, the bigger things. All right, praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Next one up. All right. Uh, Daily Mail science section says, and I do, I am reporting verbatim. There is no twist to these words. These words are what's on the Daily Mail website. Okay, and it says, what does human meat taste like? Question mark. Scientists reveal the unique flavor of our flesh as Greg Wallace claims to sample human meat in a bizarre TV show. By the way, there's more and more and more and more and more and more of this stuff going on out there. They're basically trying to soil and green us all. Oh, and um, okay, now I'm also very timid about sharing this, but Joy Pugh is very overt about sharing it. But the Jews that are not Jews in Revelation, these are Khazarian Jews. They never were bloodline Jews. Never were. The Soroses, the Zelenskys, these are, these are very evil entities that pretend to be Jews, but they're not. And they do the whole rabbi thing and the big bushy beard, and they play along with it, but they're extremely evil. And they refer to us as Goyim, and they really believe they want us dead. So the Jews that are not Jews, you know, again, I don't want this to be confused with God's people and God's bloodline Jews from the tribes, because what happens is people make a horrible, horrible mistake. And then they will uh, be anti-Semitic. That's a big, dumb mistake. And you're going to pay for that because God says in Hosea um, 2, verse 19, he says, I will betroth thee. As Chuck Missler used to say, uh, the, the true Israelites, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, etc., that those bloodlines are God's wife. I don't know about you, but I I don't want anybody calling God's wife anything negative. All right. But I will tell you that I listened to an audio. It was a video. It was an AV snippet. And it was one of these Talmudic, uh, Khazarian, extremely evil, called himself a rabbi. But the words that were coming out of his mouth, total Satanism. Total Satanism. And this particular individual, as sick and twisted as this was, was telling everybody that, oh, we have been uh, taking body parts of dead people, selling them to McDonald's, selling them to Burger King, selling them to Taco Bell, selling them to all of the fast food restaurants for like decades and decades and decades and decades. So we've been eating people all along. Probably most of us will never see another fast food restaurant until Jesus comes. At least that's as far as I'm going with it. All right. So we got about six minutes before we bring on Brother Brian. I'm wondering if I should read this. This is kind of harrowing. If you have kids in a room, they're not going to want to hear this. Um, I don't know. I don't even know if I really want to read it. Do you? Re- Let me just put it this way, okay? Let me see if I can avoid having to get into this, the details. Remember when I played the the audio clip of the Russian soldier that into a building? Uh, I think it was around the time that they were taking over Mariupol. But anyway, they entered into a building, and the man, the Russian Federation soldier, was in tears, and he was explaining 
that there were children inside the building that were being carved up like piglets. Okay. Um, well, I have an audio bite here of what they are doing with much, much more detail in the mass graves and the volume, the sheer volume of how this is, you know, it's just, it's newborns, the whole deal. It's much more horrible and disturbing than I, I feel like, I don't want to repeat it. You know what I mean? But the stuff that you're, when you get a little tidbit, like a little taste of stuff that I read to you from a headline or whatever, from Daily Mail or whatever, whatever enters your mind, as horrified as you may be from that headline, you really I'm, – I'm just sharing this because I don't know how else to explain it to you. You have to multiply the horror times 100. I'm sorry if that's disturbing, but it, it is to me. You have to multiply the horror times 100. And I don't like reading it. But it is pervasive. It's happening everywhere. They're going to be telling our kids about it. They're going to be putting it into the libraries. They're going to be doing all this stuff on Disney TV and cartoons and everything else under the sun because that's how sick they are. Okay, and so we do need to be wise as serpents, but gentle as doves. Doesn't mean that we got to get into the gory details, but it is it's horribly gory. It's gory enough that I don't, want to re- I don't want to relive it. I don't want to reread it. Even skimming over it and considering it for the radio show, it's not a good thing for me. All right, so um, praise God, and hopefully I, my guess would be it would not be a good thing for you either. All right, headline up. CNN Business News reports, and this is all over the place, bank failure. Kansas Heartland Tri-State Bank is closed by the FDIC. And then they say that J.P. Morgan buys it out, and so the markets are going to rise. Well, we already know that uh, for the CBDCs, the digital ID, the implementation of the Mark of the Beast, J.P. Morgan, Bank of America, uh, Chase Bank, which is part of J.P. Morgan, and then also uh, Wells Fargo, which are the fourth largest banks in the world, okay, uh, they will be running the show. Through, you know, through the Fed. Now, the people out there that have, like, you know, uh, uh, um, Bitcoin and all this other stuff, they think that they're immune. They're not. They're not. Nobody's immune. Social Security, not immune. Um, stock that you saved up in your 401k that, it, that, you, that you're planning on surviving for for the next 20 years? Nope. Sorry. It's going bye-bye. See, the thing is, every transaction has to go through what's called the International Bank of Settlements, okay? And they are the ones who put together what's called Basel I and Basel II. That is a regulation. It is, it is a worldwide control of the movement of money from one place to another. So no matter what, they control the International Bank of Settlements. Not said. All right, praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Now, I'm going to tell you something, and I got a whole lot more supporting information. I uh, oh gee now I want to I want to be absolutely on time for Brother Godawa uh, because uh, this is this is exciting because like I said when a person writes fiction books that's really not their goal as a general rule they are writing a storyline that's fictitious but the 
the crux of the matter, the things that they're writing about are almost invariably things that they believe are true or things that they feel that the Lord has revealed to them in their quest to bring forward the story. And like I said, Steve Quayle, Tom Horn, all of them do that. I've got all kinds of their books in the behind it, and, and it's a fantastic way to get some really esoteric and fascinating information out to, to the believers. All right, praise God. So I want to bring them on uh, on time, which means I've got about all of about uh, 33 seconds. All right, hallelujah. So I did want to I'm I did want to share this with you. There is some very deep dark witchcraft taking place right now in the United States government. Now, I know people have ratted out Kamala Harris as being a black witch, which she is. Okay, and all this other stuff, but it's it's worse than you think. They have uh, and you know, I don't want to I don't care. If you know, if you don't if this freaks you out, then Maybe there's another radio show that you'd like a little bit better. I can give you some names. All right, but anyway, we're not we're not going to pussyfoot around. We're going to go right to the punch. Okay, we have saint, Satanists and experts at witchcraft, you know, inside and operative inside the House of Representatives and the Senate. Okay, and they are controlling. But we also have alien-human hybrids in there too. Okay, and I'm going to play you a bit, a little snippet, an audio snippet from Dr. David Jacobs, who, who specialized in studying alien-human hybrids and uh, pregnancies in uh, alien abductions. And uh, the guy is a genius. He's the author of several books. We had him on the show. Uh, and, and I will play you an audio bite from him later that will explain to you what, when he was asked point blank, what do you, after writing all these books, after having, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of interviews with people who have had, uh, you know, close encounters of the fourth kind and all this other stuff and had babies implanted into them and had these entities, you know, take the babies back out of them and all this other stuff. What are they doing with these hybrids? What are they doing with these hybrids? And when he was pushed into a corner, you're going to find out later tonight what he said. What's the end game? And I can tell you right now, I see the videos. I see the things happening because I am getting them fed directly into my social media feeds. And this stuff is never, never, never going to be on the New York Post. It will never be on the Daily Mail. It will never touch those places. The only places you will be able to find it is in a finely tuned Twitter feed. And we got, we got alien-human hybrids that are controlling the words that are coming out of the mouth of Congress people. I can tell you as a fact that is exactly what they are. And if you saw it with your own eyes, you would be, oh, my gosh, what is that? Okay, but anyway, um, I've been doing this for 12 years, folks. This has been my specialization. Unfortunately, it's all kind of coming to a... What do they say? Come to a, it, it, the whole thing is coming to a head. Okay, it's all it's like this gigantic train wreck, and there's trains coming from every single direction, and they're all heading right into each other. And uh, that's good news. You know why? Because it means we're getting really, really close to leaving. Praise God. And on that note, let's bring on Brother Brian Gadawa. Praise Jesus. This ought to be really fascinating. And here we go. Um. Praise God. Brother Brian, are you there? Yes, I am. How you doing, man? 
Uh, we're excited to have you join us tonight. A, a couple of people were asking about the uh, the title, and I said, no, 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 you, you're not thinking about it right. I said, you got to understand, Brian has written a lot of books, and the, you know the, the the statement that was in the emails was the best summary that I've done on Nephilim and Watchers. And so I just said, let's have a free for all. Let's find out, you know, from Brian personally. His journey and what you feel that the Lord has revealed to you and you have published via the, um, you know, the, um, uh, the method of writing known as fiction, but we all kind of know how that goes. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Many yeah. a true stories were told under the guise of fiction, praise God. So Absolutely. on that note, I'm going to turn the mic over to you and let, just let you just tear it up. Thank you, Jesus, for coming. Well, you, you bet. Can, can I uh, ask how long do I have? Because I don't want to like I want to make sure I fit it within the time parameters. <laughs> oh yeah, no problem. Um, you know, uh, shoot for an hour, but if you feel like you need to go longer, right. go ahead. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. Awesome. Well, All you right. know, and I'll, I'll try. I can just take, keep talking, so I'll try to make sure I make some breaks to, so you can uh, you know, or just jump in if you need to 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 direct me anywhere, but. Um, yeah, so you're right. It is a journey. It's, it's my personal theological journey, I like to say, because as a Christian, you know, I've been, I've been a Christian for, for many, many years since, since I was in high school. And um, so I've always sought to honor God, and I've always had a high, uh, a high value on the Word of God, the Bible as God's Word. And so, um, you know, and, and, and I've also, you know, kind of early on in my evangelical Christian faith, you know, I kind of adopted this, I, you know, this understanding of if the Bible says it, it's true, even if it doesn't make sense to me, or even if I disagree with it, because I, many times what, what people will do is they'll just adjust the Bible to fit their preconceived theology. But early on, I, I understood that, no, you know, I can be wrong. I'm a human, even if I love God, and even if I know God, I can still misread the Bible or misunderstand it or misinterpret it. There's nothing, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. It's not necess- it could be sin or it could just be, you know, we have to we all have to grow and learn because we're finite people, right? But nevertheless, that was my attitude. Is like, okay, if as I'm seeking to understand God and reading the Bible, there's going to be weird things in there, and I don't say, well, I'll interp- reinterpret it so it fits, makes me feel safer or better, but rather take it for what it's saying and then adjust what I believe to it. And that's a scary proposition for even Christians because there's a lot of things, weird things in the Bible that uh, we read that Christians are – sometimes they're ashamed of or they're, uh, they don't understand, and so they're kind of afraid to face it. And such was the, 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 the passage in the Bible that um, – not the only one, but certainly the, the most bizarre passage that I, I didn't understand and was kind of scary to me was Genesis 6, 1 through 4. And that's the passage where it's talking about before the flood, and it talks about how when man began to multiply on the face of the earth and, and daughters were born to them. And it says that these sons of God, these heavenly beings, saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose, or it just says they took them. And it says, the Lord said, my spirit shall not abide with man forever. And then it says, the Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God had sex or came into the daughters of man and bore children to them. These were the mighty men of old, the men of renown. So the strange word Nephilim was in there, and you've got this strange thing of sons of God coming down and mating or having sex with daughters of man? 
what is that about, right? I mean, it sounds like, sounds like Greek mythology, right? And, and then it talks about these Nephilim. What are these Nephilim? And, you know, when, when you do a study into the Nephilim, we could talk about that as we go on here. But the short of it is that it basically is a word that means giants. And, in fact, one of the reasons why I think the um, Bible translators, um, sometimes when they have problems with certain uh, uh, Hebrew words, uh, based on their own biases, they, they won't translate the word. They'll transliterate it. And what that means is rather than giving the translation of the word Nephilim, which is giants, uh, some people think it's fallen ones, but there's a whole, um, there's a whole uh, linguistic background that sort of proves that it, it actually means giants. But I think that you can see why maybe Bible translators were afraid to write that because it looks like it's coming out of mythology, right? So they'll transliterate the word, and the word in Hebrew is Nephilim, right? So that's where we get this strange word Nephilim. It's, it's actually transliteration. So when you do that, so you see, okay, this is a weird passage, right? And, and it's like, wait a minute. Angels are having sex with women and human women, and they're birthing giants? What is that, right? Well, again, I, I believe the Bible, so I would just say, well, you know what? I don't understand that, but I do believe it, so maybe someday I will. And I would just, you know, I would just continue on studying the Bible or reading the Bible from there. But there came a point in my life as a Christian later on after I was more of a professional storyteller where I got to the point in my life where, you know, I was a screenwriter in Hollywood. And, and so I was looking for, you know, stories to, to write into screenplays, and, and I, you know, I came up with this idea of, you know, I wanted to write a Bible story that Hollywood would also be interested in because, you know, ancient world, fantastical angels and demons type of thing, you know. And I came up with this, this uh, Noah, the story of Noah, because I thought this weird stuff, as I studied it more, I found out, man, this would be a really cool movie. Both Christians and secular people would certainly find it interesting, right? And, uh, and so I started to write a screenplay on it, and then I, I – discovered that Noah, um, Darren Aronofsky was already making a movie on Noah. So I knew he would beat me to the punch. And I thought, okay, how can I get my story out? Because I probably won't be able to get it made as a movie. And then that's when I decided to go, okay, write it as a novel. And I did that about in 2010. And that first novel became Noah Primeval. And that was the story of Noah based on the biblical and historical research I had been doing. And here's the thing, the, 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 the research that sort of opened the door, the floodgates for understanding a lot of this stuff in Scripture that's weird was Michael Heiser. Now, Michael Heiser is now, he just died this year, unfortunately, and he was an evangelical scholar who wrote a book called The Unseen Realm. Fantastic book. I highly recommend it. And that, that was what sort of began me on this journey of understanding that these weird things in the Bible aren't just anomalies like giants show up in Genesis 6, weird, okay, whatever. No, they're actually connected to a theological thread or a storyline that I now, I now call the War of the Seed. Now, many Christians are familiar with the, the first, they call it the first messianic promise in the Bible, which is Genesis 3, right? And that's where God is cursing man, the woman, and, and the serpent. But the curse of the serpent was very specific because he said that, you know, because you've done this, now, you know, now you'll crawl on your belly and eat the dust and all that. But he also says, I will put enmity 
That, that is a word that means war. Enmity between your seed and the seed of the woman, the seed of Eve. So it's the seed of the serpent will have a, be an enmity between the seed of Eve. And it says, he, uh, he's talking to the serpent, so he says, you know, uh, his, her seed will crush your head. You will crush his heel. And it's the, uh, many translations say, crush, you will, he will crush your head, the head of the serpent, right? But you will bite or you will bruise his heel. But the truth is, it's the same Hebrew word for, for both. So it's kind of like saying, yeah, he will bite it, but he's crushing it. There's, there's real suffering or loss in that, that battle between each other. And of course, you know, uh, as Christians, we find that that's a, that's a theological thread we're very familiar with throughout the Bible, even into the New Testament, where it even says, you know, Paul writes, and he says, you will soon crush the head of, ser- of, of, of the devil, you know, crush the head of the serpent soon and such. And so um, there's this war between these seeds. Now, what are these seeds, right? And there's many different theories, and I'm not going to go through all of them, but, but I think basically it's talking about this, at least the spiritual descendants of them, right? Because the woman would have what, what does that mean? The seed of the woman would crush the serpent. Well, that's the first messianic promise because Jesus is that ultimate seed. And Paul even writes about that, right? Where he says, it says, uh, Abraham's, I will promise to your seed. He says, not plural, but to singular, meaning Christ. So this seed promise goes back even before Abraham to the garden. And it's hinting at the fact that the Messiah will come through the line of ease. And, uh, and, and there would be this, the, 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 the serpent himself, his seed, his generations will, will, will be, um, you know, fighting you, right? And, and we, can, we can see that in a spiritual sense, right? Like, you know, the sons of the devil or whatever phraseology you might want to use. People who hate God are always at battle with God's people, right? Sure, that's, that's there. That's in the Bible. But I think it all, there's, there's a deeper thread there that's going on that is connecting that seed much more physically than we would think, the seed of the serpent. Now, this is not the, the, the belief that uh, uh, whatever, uh, what is it? Um, there's some people who say that Satan had sex with you know, Eve and all this kind of stuff. But no, that's, that's all heresy. This is just a reference to the fact that by the time the um, – uh, so let, let me say this. So at the time of the flood, you've got this, these sons of God, they are having sex with the daughters of men. What is their seed producing? It's producing the Nephilim. So uh, the, this is the, one of the first cases in the Bible where uh, there's an actual attempt by Satan's minions to corrupt the seed line of Messiah. Because if Satan knows that Messiah will come through the, the line of Eve, well, he wants to corrupt that seed, right? And, and so this is what they're doing. This is what I think is, is going on there. And they're trying to corrupt that seed. So by the time, this is why violence spreads on the earth because of this. And what does God say? He says, he saw Noah and Noah was pure in his generations. And I think that some translations call that righteous, but if you look at the word, it's the same word in Hebrew that actually is referencing, that is used in the book of Leviticus to refer to ritual purity for sacrifices. 
which was you shall have an unblemished lamb, right? That kind of a thing. So the purity, some people say that that purity that's talking about Noah is not just a, uh, a, a righteous obedience. It's actual physical purity. He was, his seed was uncorrupted by these sons of God. And that's why God picks him and destroys everyone else because the, you know, the, the land is corrupted with this seed and violence proceeds forth from that, right? But that's where he's, he's picking that, that uh, pure line, so to speak, so that Messiah will still be born in the future. And he destroys everyone else, right? And so why, what's the point? The point is this. By the time, if we, you know, we jump forward to, to uh, the promised land when Joshua and Moses are about ready to enter the promised land, we hear, the, we hear the only other place in the Bible that the word Nephilim comes up, literally. Not, it's not the only place that there are giants, but it's the only place where this word Nephilim shows up is in Numbers 13.32. And what, why that's important is the, uh, Joshua and, and, and Caleb come back, they give the report, right? You remember where, where the, the, um, the spies say, oh, they're giants in the land, right? We're like grasshoppers. I mean, it's literally giant. And it's not metaphorically speaking that they're warriors. The verses actually says, the land which we have gone to spy out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people we saw in it are of great height, right? That's a literal physical great height, not a metaphor, right? It says, we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim. And we seemed like grasshoppers to them. That's why they were in fear of them. But interesting, remember now, the promised land, I've jumped ahead, you know, but, but it's, it's, you know, we can't cover every little detail, right? But the point is, He's saying that these giants in the land are the ones that God wants Joshua to wipe out so that his people can take the land as their own, as the promised land. And what does he say? He says these, these giants that are called the sons of Anak in Hebrew, that can also be Anakim. The Em means sons of, right? So, so the Anakim, but what does he say? He calls them Nephilim, and then he says they come from the Nephilim. This is the only other place in the Bible that the word Nephilim comes from or is used. Why? What's the point? I think the point is this. They're saying these giants that are the Anakim in the land of, of Canaan, we are supposed to wipe them out. Why? Because they are, they are, take, they, um, they are living in the land that God's given us, but they are connected to those same corrupted seed of the Nephilim before the flood. That's the connection. They're saying these are the same kind of beings there. They come from those same beings. And what did God do? God wiped out the whole you know, world uh, with the flood to get rid of those. So that's why we see um, in Joshua, many people uh, see the holy wars of Joshua and they say, oh, God says you're going in the land, it's genocide, they're killing everybody, man, woman, and children, right? Well, no, actually, that's not true. They were only supposed to kill the man, women, and children of these tribes, certain tribes that had these giants in them. And they, were, they, called, they had many different names for them, but uh, Anakim was the dominant name for them. And if you, if you get my drift here, what I'm pointing at is 
it's a misnomer. It's, it's, it's wrong to say that God said to wipe out all the Canaanites. He didn't. He said to wipe out specifically those who had these corrupted seed in them because they are the ones that deserve the judgment. And sure enough, at the end of Joshua, well, we'll get there. We'll get there. But the end of Joshua. That, so, so that's what they're doing at the time of Joshua. They're going in and they're wiping out these beings that were still around, even though after the flood, some, you know, we can, there's different theories about why they're still around. Um, but nevertheless, this is, this is the, the um, theological connection, and they're giants. And, you know, many people are very familiar, most Christians even, if you were to tell them, you know, they're giants in the Bible, they go, yeah, yeah, I know the story of Goliath. He was a giant. I accept that, right? Uh, yeah, but there's actually a lot more spoken of that people don't know because they don't, they don't read close enough to realize that there are names for giants that aren't recognizable. Let me, let me give you an example. So we've seen in Numbers 13, the Anakim are giants, and the Anakim show up in many places, but there are other names that are used of them. And if you look at the book of Deuteronomy, for example, Deuteronomy 128, uh, it says, where are we going up to? These are, these are the, um, you know, the Jews who are talking about going into the promised land and killing the giants. And he says, our brothers have made our hearts melt. Remember the report, uh, the bad report? They made our hearts melt saying, the people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified to heaven. These walls are huge. Giants would have huge walls. And besides, we have seen the sons of the Anakim there. There it is again, right? But then in Deuteronomy 2, just a short chapter later, it says this. He's talking about another location, and he says, The Emim lived there, a people great and many and tall as the Anakim. All right, there's tall in height. Those are the giants. So Emim are giants. And then he says, like the Anakim, they're also counted as Rephaim, but the Moabites call them Emim. So we have another term, Rephaim, that refers to as giants. And so here's where you get this idea, either these are different clans or they're different names from, you know, Moabites use a, have a different, slightly different language, right, than say the, 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 uh, the Hebrews or the other Canaanites might have. So some of these are just different names for giants, and some of them might be actual clans of giants, right? And so these are just – there's just let me give you one more, one more passage. In that same Deuteronomy 2, just a few verses later, it says – Deuteronomy 2, verse 20. It, they're talking about another place of the land. It says this is counted as land of Rephaim. Rephaim lived there, but the Ammonites – now another tribe – they call them – Zamzumim, a people great and many and tall as the Anakim. But the Lord destroyed them before the Ammonites, etc. So, so we're seeing there's terms of these giants used by, and they're all known, but they're called by different names, and people don't realize that. But the two dominant names that were used, you know, in the context of the Hebrews were Anakim and Rephaim. And Rephaim is another term that has a, a very deep history, theological history of it, that um, I write about a little bit in my book called When Giants Were Upon the Earth. That's a, a book that has my 
Bible study of giants and watchers and sons of God that is the foundation for my novel series called Chronicles of the Nephilim. So that book I said, um, I, I started, uh, Noah Primeval, I realized after writing that novel, people were eating up, they loved it, and I realized I have more stories to tell. And I said, look, I started discovering these Rephaim and these Zamzumim and Anakim, and I said, I've got more stories to tell in the Bible that people aren't really very familiar with, and it's not just Goliath. There's a lot more. So I started writing the novels, and I now am up to like you know 16 novels and, and uh, several different series. <laughs> but um, – the first one is um, Noah Primeval, and then the second one is a prequel that goes back in time to Enoch, and it's called Enoch Primordial. And then I go on and I tell the story of – I also have a novel on Abraham and David and Jesus and all this, and Joshua as well as Moses, etc. So that's what sort of launched me, and this, this revelation of the Bible actually talks a lot more about giants and why. Is this just – are these just mythical creatures or – you know, what, what's the importance of it? And I think the importance is that they, this, these giants are corrupted seed that is corrupted between angels and humans. Now, this is where I told you that these are the scary things that you read in the Bible. It sounds a lot like mythology. And that's why I think a lot of evangelical Christians are afraid to address it or face it because it is very similar to Greek mythology. It's similar to all other ancient mythologies, right? Uh, but then some Christians will try to cover it up and, and explain it away, say, no, no, it's just a metaphor. Sons of God are not angels. They're actually you know, righteous men or kings who believe that they were gods, etc. And so it's using, using this terms, but it's just talking about humans, right? But um, there's so many reasons why that's not the case. But if you, just, you know, if you just study what I've just talked about here, it's very clearly talking about humans that are great heights. And you don't have giants being born to women who are just having mating with other humans. That doesn't happen, right? So the point here is this. The theological point is the angels um, back before the flood, they were rebellious angels. They defied God, and they engaged in a violation of the separation between heaven and earth. You look at the Bible. Why does the Bible talk so much about separation for the Jews, right? It's holiness, separation of the, the, the foods, right? Separation of the cloths. All these separation was this theology that God was breeding into their mind that, that there's a holiness and a separation unto me. Uh, when you, in order to become into my sacred space, I want you to have to treat me specially and I'm separate from other things, and, the, and, and, and he teaches them to think in terms of separation, right? But also, there's a separation of the earth and heavenly divide, and, and angels should not be mixing with humans because it creates this, this uh, unholy, right, Nephilim. And so that's kind of what's going on with that, and that's the theological thread of, of this. And, but it's, this isn't something I'm just sort of like coming up with. Because we've, we've seen these passages. Let me find the passage I'm thinking of. Um, the angels. Um, where am I thinking of? Oh, where is it? So, we're, you know, 
we're familiar with the, the book of Jude, right? The book of Jude is, um, is one of those strange books, but it talks about this sin of the angels that I'm telling you. If you look at Jude, and of course, Second Peter does as well, but Jude 6, he's talk, Jude is talking about these false teachers in the New Testament, and he's likening them. They are, they are rebels who are teaching heresies, and they are evil. And he likens them. These, these, these heretics are teaching unholy beliefs, mixing with holy beliefs, right? And he likens them to the angels of old, and he says this. The angels who did not stay within their own position of authority in heaven, right, but left their proper dwelling. Where's that? That's heaven. That's the spiritual realm. And he says he has kept those rebellious angels in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. And you're like, what is that? There's angels kept in dark. What is that, right? There's no other place in the Bible that refers to any kind of rebellious angels except that one location in genesis 6 those sons of god that had sex with the daughters of men and they and they they bore forth the nephilim and those nephilim are negative they're always referred to in the bible as negative uh, unholy consequences of that that rebellion of the angels so even jude is referring to those and then what he says god says that at that flood he ended up also imprisoning those rebellious angels in 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 Tartarus, you know, in in basically the deepest you know place of Hades, right? And so, and in fact, that's where Second uh, Peter actually talks about that. He's the one that says Second um, Peter three, I think it was. Is that it? Uh, no, I'm sorry. First, First Peter. No, I'm sorry. Second Peter two. And he says God did not. 2 Peter 2, 4, God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell. That's a bad translation. The word is Tartarus, not hell. Tartarus is the lowest pit of Hades, according to the Bible and other ancient understandings. Committed them to chains of gloomy darkness. There it is again, to be kept until judgment. And that's connected to the flood. So even the New Testament is talking about this. This isn't just an odd theological oddity. There's, there's a, there's a storyline, a thread here, and this is the storyline that I'm telling. And, and that's what I was discovering and why I wanted to write these novels and, 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 and tell this story. But this is, this is why the, the, you know, and there are, there are people who will also say the Nephilim are not giants. Uh, they are just warriors. They're just referring to old warriors. Well, Genesis does say they are warriors of old for sure, but the problem is, is the word Nephilim is clearly defined as giants. As I already t- explained in, in number 13, it clearly describes them as giants. Then it, it links other giant clans, Rephaim, Emim, Zemzumim, other uh, giants are referred to as well by the other surrounding communities. And so, uh, so it's very clear that Nephilim are in fact giants. Now, the thing about Rephaim, it has, like I said, it has a whole other deep theological context to it that I explain in my book, When Giants Were Upon the Earth. But in short, the Rephaim is, is kind of a, 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 it's another transliteration. But it's important to know that 
in the ancient world of Canaan, they had a, a mythology, an ancient religion, where they believed that their kings were ancient kings of old, were mighty warriors, who when they died, they went down to Hades, or they went down into Sheol, and they became the Rephaim. And they, the, the Canaanites actually used that word, Rephaim, and what that meant was the mighty, great, ancient king warriors became godlike in the world, in the world of the dead, so that the kings on earth had to be approved of those kings down in, in, in the netherworld, right? And so when they had a new king, they would do these rituals to get the approval of the Rephaim kings of old, and then they would get that approval of their mighty kings on earth. That was, you know, that's roughly a kind of a, and, and they were deified, right? They were gods. So that's how the Canaanites looked at it. So the Jews, they used that word Rephaim as a kind of reference point. But, but what, what, what the prophets like Isaiah would say about the Rephaim, he would mock them and say that, that these mighty kings of, that you are talking about kings on earth, they die. He goes, but they die and they live in a bed of worms and they are in being tortured in uh, or not tortured, but you know, their, their bed is a bed of worms in Hades or in Sheol and they are sleepy and they have no strength, you, you know? So they're, they're basically, uh, you know, prophets of Isaiah and, and Jeremiah would mock the Rephaim by saying, you think that they're mighty Kings in the end world, but they're in fact weak, worthless Kings and, and they have no strength at all because the world of the dead cannot have power over the world of the living. And so, but then that term Rephaim over time became a reference to the mighty warriors who were on earth, those giants, right? Because as uh, the corrupted seed, right, they're a kind of a hybrid between heavenly creatures and earthly creatures, and those were considered creatures of the dead or creatures of the underworld on the earth. So there's this linking of the underworld to the giants and making them evil and making them wicked, and that's why Joshua was wiping them out. So much so that by the end of uh, Joshua, it's very important that he says, Joshua 11:21. At the end of all, you know, the victory, Joshua says he came at that time and cut off all the Anakim from the hill country. Remember, the Anakim are the giants come from the Nephilim. He wiped them out from the hill country, from Hebron, from Deber, from, and he lists all these areas. And he says there was none of the Anakim left in the land of the people of Israel. He wiped them all out. Only in Gaza, in Gath, and Ashdod did some remain. So basically he admits that Joshua took the whole land as God had spoken, and he wiped out all the Anakim like God told him, but he left some in Philistia. Those cities are the cities of Philistia on, on the sea, right? So he didn't wipe them all out. And so then you have the time of Judges, and these, these Philistines grow in power. By the time of King David, the Philistines were the mighty warriors, and guess who we find? We find um, Goliath and his brother and other giants 
who were, they call them by now, by the time of David, they called those giants Rephaim. And that's who David as, who is David? He is the Messiah, the anointed one, right? So he's the one that's supposed to finally wipe those giants out from the land. That was the seed of the serpent, right? And, of course, David does, and he has all these battles with the Philistines, right? But there's something interesting that occurs that this is another thing that, you know, some people notice it, but it looks like it's just sort of like um, another strange oddity. Turns out all these wars that David was having with the Philistines, these giants, there were giants. After David kills Goliath, he's not the only one. There's now a, uh, a, a, a band of these warrior assassins called the Yalid Harafa, which is translated in the Bible in some different ways as descendants of the giants. So um, we read in, for instance, First Chronicles and Second Samuel, he's talking about the wars with the Philistines, and he, he describes these individual giants who were hunting David. Why? Why? Second Samuel 21, 16. Ishbi Benob, one of the descendants of the giants, or these Yalid Ha-Rafa, Rephaim, one of the Rephaim descendants, whose spear weighed 300 shekels of bronze, just like Goliath, right? It says he fought to kill David. This is during these wars. But Abishai, the son of Zariah, attacked that Philistine and killed him. So David has mighty men who kill these giants, but it says specifically they're hunting David. Now, this was something that uh, – and by the way, there's like five other ones. Same thing, descendants of the giants. Same passage, it describes – um, another giant called Saf in verse 18, Philistines, war with the Philistines, Sibachai, which was another mighty man of David, kills this giant called Saf, who was one of the descendants of the giants, the Yilid Harafa. And then it says um, another David mighty man strikes down uh, Lami, uh, who is the brother of Goliath the Gittite, a man of great stature, great height. And then it says that he also, he had six fingers in each hand, six toes in each foot, and he was a descendant from the giants. And then in First Chronicles 20, we read of Sippai, who was a giant. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, Sippai was the name of a giant, one of the descendants of the giants, who were with the Philistines trying to kill David. And then Elhanan strikes down Lami, the brother of Goliath the Gittite, and then a, another war with Gath, and there's a man of great stature who's nameless, put six fingers on each hand, six toes on each foot. So these giants have strange anomalies that show they're not normal, they're, they're abnormal. But my point is, is um, he's also described as a descendant from the giants in Gath. And that term, so my point here is, Look at this. By the time of David, there's the seed of the serpent described as Rephaim, described as giants. They're still trying to kill David. Why? Because David is the seed of Eve. He's the Messiah. He is the, the anointed king. Now, of course, we know that King David doesn't fulfill his purposes, but he becomes then the, the ultimate 
anti or the ultimate type of the Christ Messiah who would one day come. And what did they call what would what did they call Jesus? What did they call the ultimate Messiah was son of David. So David here is this the messianic figure they're trying to kill, the seed of the serpent's trying to kill him, right? And uh, and they're not successful because his mighty men kill them. But this is where I'm saying, see how this is not just giants. Um, there's there's a very interesting um, scholar named Conrad Lahru. He was a French scholar. He wrote this article about where he studied this term that I've just been describing in First Chronicles and Second Samuel, descendants of the giants. It's called Yalid Ha-Rafa, and he makes the argument that that is a uh, that is a, a technical term that may refer to a specific cult, a specific, I'm sorry, a specific warrior cult of Rephaim. And that's where in my novel, David Ascendant, that's uh, one of my novels in my series, everybody knows the story of Goliath, right? And, and you know, we've, we've heard, a, we've read a dozen novels of people writing about the story of David, and they all write about Sheba or Goliath. But how many of them tell the story of the five giants hunting down David to kill him? That's what I did with my novel, David Ascendant. I tell the story of these giants. I give them background, fictional, because we don't know anything about them. But I give them fictional background of them, why they're trying to kill David and why they are this warrior cult who are trying to assassinate the Messiah, the, the seed of, of Eve, right? So that's carrying the seed that, that goes throughout the, 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 um, the Bible. And ultimately, of course, it ends in, in, um, in Jesus being that, that seed you know, who would crush the serpent. And we, you know, we read, of course, of, of the, the crucifixion and how that is sort of the ultimate attempt of Satan, the serpent, to you know, crush the heel of, right, and he does, right, because Jesus dies. He gets crushed. He was crushed for our sins. But of course, the, the seed of the serpent, or uh, I'm sorry, the serpent didn't realize that that crushing was, was what made our atonement possible, and then Jesus resurrected. But this, is, but this is funny because after the time of David in the Bible, you never hear about giants anymore. So David basically wiped out the Rephaim, and there's no more reference to giants. But interestingly, when Jesus comes, I make this claim in my novel, Jesus Triumphant, where I tell the story of Jesus. But there's something interesting that happens when Messiah comes in in the first century. There's all of a sudden, in the Old Testament, you don't really hear much at all about demon possession. There's not, you know... Saul is, you know, haunted by a demon, by maybe by an evil spirit. There's not much at all about demon possession. And why? All of a sudden, in the New Testament, when Jesus comes, is there all this demon possession? And the demons are saying, I know who you are, right? <clears throat> well, here's the thing. In the New Testament, the term for demon, evil spirit, is a very specific thing. Many Christians have a misunderstanding of what demons are. They tend to call them fallen angels but they're not fallen angels and why i say that is if you do a study of the word angel first of all obviously if it, or not obviously but first of all the term angel actually angelos in greek or malachim in hebrew 
it actually the word translates as messenger. And sometimes the word messenger or angel is used of humans, like Christians who bring the gospel are God's angels, God's messengers. So an angel can be many different things as long as they're a messenger of God. But by and large, most of the time, it, it does refer to supernatural beings from God's throne who are bringing messages, right? But it's important to understand that those angels in the Bible who came and fell, had sex with humans, they are not just spirits. They actually have some kind of body. And um, angelic, in other words, angels have a heavenly body. Evil spirits do not have bodies. So evil spirits can't be fallen angels. Fallen angels were those, those sons of God who fell and had sex with humans because they had bodies that were able to have sex, right? Or remember when the angels who visited Abraham what did Abraham do? He made them food, and they ate. So angels can eat food, can have sex, can drink water. So there's a, they have a kind of physicality. Now, is it like human bodies? No, it's not. It's a different kind of flesh, but it is a flesh. What I call it is interdimensional. In other words, they're able to exist either in the spiritual realm or in the human physical realm. And so they have bodies that are not, that are not quite – you know, just spirit, but they're not just, or they're not human physicality. And this is also not something I'm making up because if you go back to um, Jude, remember when Jude was talking about those angels who, who left their proper dwelling in heaven, they came to earth. Well, right after he says, he describes the ones that occurred before the flood, he also says, just like Sodom and Gomorrah, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire. Um, uh, uh, other translations call it, they pursued uh, strange flesh. Those angels serve an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. What does that mean? Well, we know that we know, we know Sodom and Gomorrah was a sinful place, and many people point out that that it was destroyed for the homosexuality. Some people say, no, it wasn't. Ezekiel says it was destroyed for inhospitality. The truth is it's both, but it's not just those. It's more than that. Jude says for his purposes, he's pointing out that it was also destroyed for sexual immorality. Now, was that just the homosexuality? No. It says they pursued strange flesh. Now, what does that mean? The Greek is actually heterosarx, strange flesh, flesh, not homosarx. That would be homosexual sex. He's actually referring to the angels having sex with humans, and, right? And what, what, if you read the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, the humans were saying, we want to have sex with those angels that you had. Now, did they know they were angels or not? We don't know for sure, but we do know Jude is saying he's using that as an example of Humans having sex with angels is the pursuit of strange flesh. So angels have flesh, but it's strange. It's not the same as human flesh. So what I'm getting at is angels are not disembodied spirits. They are embodied spirits, but they're embodied in a heavenly flesh that is different from human flesh. This is why demons are not fallen angels. Demons are evil spirits 
in search of a body. What does Jesus say? You cast a demon out and it goes searching for new bodies to inhabit. So uh, demons are, are evil spirits in search of bodies. Well, where do they come from? The Bible does not actually say. It just describes evil spirits. So where do they come from? This is where I, I, you know, I, I believe that there is um, – let's put it this way. Uh, there is intertestamental literature like the book of Enoch that is not scripture, but scriptural authors draw a lot of ideas from. And Jude is one of them. In the same book of Jude, he quotes from the book of Enoch just a few verses later. He's, he quotes from the book of Enoch. Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his holy ones, right? So there's no doubt he's drawing these ideas from Enoch. And in the book of Enoch, it makes an argument that demons, these evil spirits, are the spirits of the dead Nephilim. You go back to before the flood, God cursed them and killed them. And think about it. A human, when a human dies, he goes to Sheol or Hades, right? And he waits there for you know God's the final judgment, etc. But the Bible says no human can escape Hades, right? No human has escaped Sheol, and they wait there for the judgment. Now, but angels already exist in a spiritual realm, so they can't die in the same way that humans die. But what if the angel has this strange, different reality of, of supernatural existence, mates and creates a hybrid, a, a hybrid who's part human, part angel? What would happen to them when they die? Because you know what I mean. Like so. So in other words, it it makes theological sense that when a Nephilim would die, they're a hybrid creature, so they wouldn't necessarily. Their angelic side does not allow them to go to Hades, but their human side does not allow them to, to just you know, be in the spiritual world. So it makes sense that they would be these evil spirits who are, who are in search of habitation of bodies. Now, theologically, it's important to the New Testament because gee, what, what does Messiah do when he comes? He's casting out all these demons. What is he doing? He's cleansing the Holy Land, isn't he? He's cleansing Israel, the land of Israel, Messiah's to come and clean the land for him to rule. And the Nephilim were the seed of the serpent that's, that has that eternal struggle, right? So even though uh, the, the, the physical giants may have been conquered uh, at the time of David, those spirits of those dead Nephilim are still around and they're polluting the land of Israel. So Messiah comes and he casts them out to, to make clean his people and his land for his rule. So that's sort of the, the theological theme of the Nephilim and the war of the seed of the serpent that I try to embody in my series, Chronicles of the Nephilim, Chronicles of the Watchers, and Chronicles of the Apocalypse. I retell all these Bible stories with this thought. That's not the only theological thread that's connected. There's also um, another thread that I'll, I'll talk about that's called the Watchers. And this is the Divine Council. This is another theological thread that's connected to this. But I wanted to just sort of tell that one major theme and how it inspired me. You can see how it's so 
interesting and so deep and so glorifying of God that I wanted to write these novels, and that's what inspired me to do that. And so I retold biblical stories where these Nephilim are a part of the story. And, you know, I had to write fiction because it doesn't tell us everything, so I had to fill in the holes. But I wanted to stay true to the Bible, but I also wanted to show the spiritual realm that is something we don't see. Um, And so, you know, I had to obviously do some speculation. What might the spiritual realm look like? And I'll, 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 I'll go down that pathway next, but I wanted to take a break in all this description in case there was something or anything that, uh, John, that you might uh, want me to address. No, no. Um, as a matter of fact, um, our listeners are pretty, you know, their their baseline of understanding in the in this realm of um, study is pretty astute. And um, I think if you just go ahead and continue, feel free okay. because, um, uh, yeah, I'm right. I'm right with you. Go for it. All right. Cool. Cool. So now I'm going to back up back to those to those sons of God thing. And, um, you know, like I say, there, there's a lot of arguments, theological arguments, and, and I think they're worth considering. And, but that's why I say you got to get a good book like mine or, or Michael Heiser's book to really hear the arguments on both sides and, 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 and such. But there's something – so we, we go way back to the beginning again. The sons of God, you know, uh, daughters of men, they're violating their heavenly – they're violating their heavenly um, realm, Right. And they're rebellious angels, and they get punished for that. But then also their seed becomes evil at such. Well, there's another component that, that these fallen sons of God do. So they're, they're bad guys, right? So they're, they're bad guys, and, and God destroys the earth and gets rid of them. But then after the flood, what does God try to do? He starts over, right? And, and, but then what happens is man is so evil. Even though God starts over, this is part of the theme of the Bible, that that seed of evil inside all of us, our sinful nature, right, back from the original sin, that even though you can, you can clean things up, it will never go away fully and will keep coming back, which means you know, God and God's people have to keep fighting evil all until the end, until, you know, until Christ returns, until everything is set to new, but we still have to keep fighting them. But, but the second big dramatic theological thing that happens is the Tower of Babel. So, we, you know, you start all over, Noah has his sons, they spread on the earth, but what happens? <clears throat> Man starts to grow and get smart. And what does he do? He doesn't worship the God Yahweh, his creator. He starts worshiping gods again, idols. He builds the Tower of Babel, and the Tower of Babel was uh, basically a ziggurat. And the, the notion back in those days was the, you built this tower as an artificial mountain because gods resided on mountains. And at the top of the ziggurat, at the top of the Tower of Babel, was a holy place where the priests would meet the gods. The gods would come down, the man would go up, and they'd meet at the top of this temple. So that's what the Babel thing was all about. Man was deifying himself in a way, but he's also trying to reach out to the gods instead of Yahweh. So what does God do? We have the Tower of Babel, and he disperses them on, uh, across the earth in order to, and gives them different languages, right? It, because he says man's evil is so bad that if they unite 
in unity like glo- one world global governance, if they do that, their evil will be so great that there will be no end to the, to the depth of evil that they can accomplish, right? So God separates us through languages and nations. That's where the nations originally came from. And, and so this is why globalism is so evil because nations were created by God to protect us from one world government. And so people – but now you see in America, you know, if I could just get, you know, take a, just a little brief sidebar – you know, we, all this talk about, you know, that, that leftist, uh, godless people, they're really anti-nationalist. And nationalism is now a bad, a bad word, right? You're a nationalist, you know, and then they try to connect white. You're a white nationalist. They're trying to make it extra bad, right? But all nationalism is was the protection from us unifying into one evil. And so actually nationalism is basically good, created by God to protect us from that. So when you see people hating nationalism and wanting a global one world government, they're returning to the Tower of Babel. But there's something interesting that is in there theologically that you don't pick up until you read the full context in the rest of the Bible. And I'm going to jump to a, uh, Deuteronomy 32 when God, you know, God is, is, you know, he's, Moses is talking to the people and they're preparing to enter the promised land. And God is saying, look, you're going to go in the promised land, but you're going to screw up again. You're going to worship false gods, right? I'm telling you, <laughs> you know. But what he says then is Deuteronomy 32.8. He hearkens back to the Tower of Babel, and this is what he says. When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, right? Inheritance in the Bible, when you hear the word inheritance or allotment, it's allotment of land territory. And uh, it's always about the land. And so when he gave the nations their land, their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the people according to the number of the sons of God. There it is again, the sons of God. What does that mean? Well, when he divided mankind, theologians are, are you know, most scholars are agreed that it's a reference to Babel. He divided mankind with the languages, and he created the nations at that time, right? So he's talking about the creation of nations he fixes the borders and the peoples. That's the territories, the national territories. This is why biblically the, uh, the nations – there are 70 nations or 72 depending on the Septuagint or, or not. But seven, roughly 70 nations in Genesis 11 is – or I'm sorry, Genesis – yeah, I think Genesis 11 we get the nations. But they're, those were the ones that were, were created at Babel. So the biblical view is all the nations basically come down – that are now that span out upon the earth come, come back to these original 70 nations, right? And they're all Gentile nations, right? Because they're evil. And, and so what Moses here is saying that he's hearkening back to the Tower of Babel. When God uh, divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the peoples and those nations, and he gave them an inheritance according to the number of the sons of God. Now, it's interesting that uh, some Bible texts will say according to the number of the sons of Israel. That's a bad translation, I think. Um, you know how, if you know anything about text of the Bible, there we don't have the original text, and there are a lot, there are problems with some texts. And the way that we find out, we try to get back to the original is sometimes it's context, sometimes it's earlier. And in the Dead Sea Scrolls, we found the earliest uh, version of this text, and it says "sons of God," not "sons of Israel." So uh, some scholars argue that 
the Hebrew Bible, um, by the time they were translating it, the Hebrew translators saw that phrase and they wanted, they were afraid of it. They did. It's, it sounded too much like, you know, these angels are like gods and they're polytheistic, right? So they changed it to sons of Israel. But so sons of God is actually uh, probably the earliest term. And that we know references back to those sons of God, right? But there's something going on here. He's saying, according to them, it's like he's allotting them. He's allotting the nations under the authority of these fallen sons of God. Because the very next verse he says, but Yahweh's portion his inheritance, his people are Jacob, his allotted heritage. So allotted heritage inheritance, it's all about land. He's saying all these nations, they're, the Gentile nations are rebelling against me. They just won't stop. So I'm going to separate them, and you're going to keep worshiping these false gods. I will give you over to them. You will be under the authority of these false gods that you're worshiping, but they're real beings. And you will be in bondage to them, but I will my allotted heritage will be Israel. And one day I will bring them into the land of Israel. They will have their land territory versus all your other national ta- territories, right? So this and, and by the way, this isn't the only place where this talks about this. Um, there are there are other passages in in the Bible that talks about this allotment, but suffice it to say that. Um, let me see here. Uh, okay, Psalm 58, 1. Do you indeed decree what is right, you gods? Do you judge the children of man uprightly? No, in your hearts you devise wrongs. Your hands deal out violence on the earth. Psalm 82 is, is another that will help give context to what I'm describing here. What I'm describing is the ancient understanding, both Hebrews and the, the surrounding nations believed that Earthly authorities or earthly nations, as well as their kings or their main cities, earthly nations were under spiritual beings that ruled over them, such that when an earthly war happened, there would be a corresponding war in heaven, right? So, so, um, uh, so, so it's sort of like there are spiritual authorities that are over the earthly authorities, and they're connected. Things that are happening happen both in the heavens and the earth at the same time. That's kind of the basic thing. And these, these earthly beings are given the authority over these nations. Um, and so, so in Psalm 82, this is where some of it comes out more so. It's, uh, you're reading, God has taken his place in the divine council. The, it's called the Assembly of El. God, Yahweh, has, or Elohim here. Uh, let's see. Yeah, I think it's Elohim. Has taken his place in the divine council in the midst of the gods he holds judgment. What? That's the word gods? How can that be? The Bible is monotheistic. It's not polytheistic. Well, <clears throat> that word gods is the word Elohim. It's the same word that is used of Yahweh. Yahweh is sometimes called Elohim. In fact, it's called the Elohim of Elohim. So this is, this is one of these, these um, crisis moments for a Christian, an evangelical Christian, when you're reading this. And if you find out what the original Hebrew says, you find out that this word gods 
occurs in many places in the Bible, and uh, it uses it of these other beings other than God. They're called gods, literally. So this thing that occurs with many Christians, and I understand because I went through it myself. It's like, wait a minute. The Bible's not polytheistic. It's not Mormons, right? And I would argue that it isn't, but what that means is we have create, crafted in our own minds a kind of an unbiblical meaning of the word gods, such that we cannot use it of any other beings than our God, than Jesus, right? But that's not true. The Bible does use it. The Bible uses it of the spirit of Samuel that is, is called up from Hades by Saul. By Saul. He's called an Elohim. It's, uh, or, uh, you know, it, it's used of these beings that we're talking about now. Who are these beings? Well, it says it right here. They are beings that are around God. God has a council, and these council of these divine beings are called gods. <clears throat> They're also called sons of God. There are, in other words, there are many terms for the same beings, right? And so the sons of God are what you hear in Job. That sons of God, uh, in Job 1, what does it say? It says that uh, the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, before Yahweh, and, and also the adversary or Satan came amongst them, right? So in other words, these sons of God are the angelic beings around God's heavenly throne. Some of them are rebellious. Some of them come to earth. But most of them are the uncounted numbers that glorify God, right? And, and so they are – and God counsels. He has a divine counsel. He counsels with them. In the book of um, – let's see. Where would that be? First uh, Kings 22, we read about God sitting on his throne and the host of heaven. There it is, another term. The host of heaven is used of these sons of God, of these Elohim, of this divine council. They stand around him on his right hand and his left, and he counsels with them. Who will entice Ahab? that he may go up and fall at Ramiath Gilead. And one said this and one said another. All these angels are you know, counseling with God, and God says, okay, I will send a lying spirit. Go and do it. So he has these divine beings called gods around his throne, also called sons of God, and he counsels with them, and he, and he tells them to go do things. But there's something more in this passage that relates to what I was talking about. The very next verse says this. He says to these gods, how long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? So these are wicked gods. Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted. You know, deliver them from the hand of the wicked. But then he says they have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk in darkness. And he said, I said, you are gods, sons of the most high. Oh, there it is again, sons of God, sons of the most high. That's another word that means sons of God. Same, same thing. All of you, you're sons of God. He's talking to these gods. Nevertheless, like men, you shall die and fall like any prince. What's he talking about here? Well, he's saying that he's referring to these gods that he had given as the authorities over the nations. They ruled unjustly and wickedly, right? There were false gods. There were pagan gods. And the pagans worship them, right? And so, so God is saying, I gave them to you, and you rule as wickedly, so I will judge you. What's the judgment? The judgment is, for your gods, you're going to die like men. 
So God's going to kill these beings, these angelic beings. Normally, you know, supernatural beings don't die, but God can kill them because he made them, right? So he's saying these gods that I placed over these nations have ruled unjustly. The Gentile nations are all wicked. I'm going to judge them one day. They're going to die and fall like any other man, right? Well, what they did not judge righteously. Well, when is he going to do this? The very last verse tells us. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit the nations. So these, there is again the inheritance, the land, the nations, right? So what he's saying is that God will one day disinherit these gods of their, of their authority over the nations, right? God will take back the inheritance of all those nations and, and, but when is he going to do that? I suggest that you, you do a study of this in the New Testament. Paul often says, use, refers to psalm passages that use the word arise or raise a standard, and he interprets it as a reference to the resurrection of Messiah. So I would argue that this is a hint, arise, O God. That's, he's talking about Messiah. When Messiah resurrects, he, uh, he will judge them, and he will inherit all the nations. So when Jesus resurrected from the dead and ascended into heaven to become the king over all the earth, that was when he disinherited the nations from the others. And basically, that's the gospel, right? What do we say as Christians? We say <clears throat> the nations used to be in darkness. But now, because why? Because they, you know, only the Jews were God's chosen people. But now that Messiah comes, when he dies, he opens it up for faith to all Gentiles and Jews. Now it's not just – you don't just become a Jew. Now through faith, the Gentiles from every tribe and nation are no longer under the darkness and the powers and authority, the principalities of those false gods. Now they are not in the darkness. Jesus brings light, and now they can come into the kingdom through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. So that this is now this this second you know large theme that that I bring into my novels and why I call them Chronicles of the Watchers and Chronicles of the Nephilim. I have these sons of God. I have them. I so here's my 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 little bit of my speculation, trying to be true to the Bible. I said to myself. Okay, the gods of the ancient world, you know, they're false gods, and they make carvings and all this, you know, Baal, Molech, right, uh, uh, Egypt, right, all the gods of Egypt, all the gods of Greece, Zeus and stuff. Well, we've always assumed them as being just false things that they made up. But I said, knowing this, this notion that God gave these, these uh, na- Gentile nations to be under authority, these wicked, you know, sons of God – what if there's some spiritual reality to those god, false gods that they worship? What, is, what if there's demonic reality behind them? Not like they're gods like polytheism, but that they take on these identities of gods in order to draw people away from worshiping Yahweh, in order to worship other gods. There's a demonic reality. Well, this is not entirely made up on my part. I got this as well from the Bible. If you go back to that Deuteronomy 32, which is full of this very interesting language, you know, um, 
where does it say that? I've lost my, my – oh, here it is. Here it is. Uh, Deuteronomy 32.17, same passage we're going back to. It, he, Moses is talking about, look, you're going to go in the promised land. You're going to worship false gods, and God's going to judge you. And he says this. He says, the, the Jews who are going to go in will sacrifice to demons that were not God, to gods they had never known. To new gods that had come recently, whom your fathers had never dreaded. He's saying you're going to go into Canaan and you're going to end up worshiping demons that are not gods, but they're gods. There you have it. Moses himself is saying there's some kind of demonic reality behind these gods of the nations. And, and this is where I made the connection. I thought, well, well, then it, whatever that – what's the demonic reality? It must be these, these um, sons of God who are given to rule over the nations. Now, this is where this, the term watcher comes in. This isn't the only place where this talks about this. There's lots of places, but Daniel is a classic chapter on this that um, – let me see here. Only ones oh, – uh, where do I have that? Oh, principalities and powers. No. Um, okay, watchers. So watchers in the Old Testament. There is a a passage in Daniel. We we know about the the visions Daniel had, right? And and and, and there's in Daniel four he has a vision and he says, "Behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven and proclaimed to me thus: the, This sentence is by the decree of the watchers." Who are these watchers? Who are these holy ones, these heavenly beings, right? Well, I think that if you – again, that's the only place it says watchers in the, in, the, um, in the Bible. But in the book of Enoch, which is another – it's not scripture, but it is a, is a, is a reference that the, that the Bible writers actually refer to, right? So, so it has some serious value even to the Bible. Uh, which is what I'm saying is it's it's not absolutely uh, scripture, but it does explain the watchers in a way that that makes sense that fits with the Bible. And it, these sons of God that came down from heaven, they are called the watchers by Enoch. And these beings that are over cities, nations, and peoples that are Gentiles are called watchers. And in the book of Daniel, chapter 10, we read about the prince of Persia and the prince of, of uh, where is the other one? <laughs> uh, the prince of Greece having battle. And Michael, who's the chief prince of Israel, it's describing the spiritual warfare that's going on in heaven that relates to the historical circumstances of Daniel. He's saying, look. When Persia's coming over and battling with Greece, there's a prince over Persia who's battling with the prince of Greece, and they're battling over Israel, which is the – and Michael is, the, is the, the chief prince of Israel, the archangel of Israel, right? So most scholars will, will explain that this passage is talking about spiritual princes, not earthly princes, right? And so there's that notion where you have these – there are princes or watchers over – I think of it this way. Just think of the term watcher as he watches over the nation or he watches over the king or the, peop, you know, the people. And so I think that these princes of nations are these watchers who are 
spiritual beings who've been given to watch over the nations. And so this is where I got my term, uh, Chronicles of the Watchers. And in my series, Chronicles of Nephilim and such, I, 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 I tell the story, these Bible stories, but I say, what might, what might these watchers look like in the spiritual realm if they were masquerading as gods of the nations like Baal of Canaan or Horus of Egypt, right? <clears throat> and so this is where I have a little bit of fun, a little bit of speculation, but it's spiritually – I try to stay spiritually true to the Bible. So what I did was in my series, I actually researched the various religious beliefs of the gods, whether it's Baal and Canaan or Horus and, and – Set and such in Egypt or uh, the gods of Mesopotamia, right? You may have Marduk of Babylon, right? I researched their beliefs of their religions, and I try to bring those storylines into, into and under submission to the Bible so that you have you, – when you read my novels, you'll learn about the pagan religions and what they really believed, but it will show you that they are, they are in submission ultimately to Yahweh. Yahweh is the one who is in control and these false gods tell a lot of lies, uh, but they're also a spiritual reality behind them. And so I try, to, I try to depict what might that look like that might make theological sense with what I've been talking about, right? So that's where I get a little bit of fiction, a little bit of fun, a little bit of uh, supernatural stuff going on, but I try to stay true to the Bible. But this is, this is the, the, the theological thread of the Watchers and the Nephilim and the Giants. They're all connected in, 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 into this theological thread of what we call the Deuteronomy 32 worldview, or what I call the watcher paradigm. And so, um, again, uh, the book of Enoch describes them as watchers, but it's not the only. The Bible itself calls watchers. It calls them sons of God. It uses many of these terms to refer to the same beings. Just like, you know, I mean... We have many names for Jesus, right? The Lamb of God, <laughs> Messiah, uh, Jesus, Yeshua, you know, um, and on and on, the Lion of the tribe of Judah. So many people in the Bible have many different names that they're referred to. Even Yahweh, even our God Yahweh is referred to as El Elyon, the Most High God, or Yahweh, or Elohim. And what's interesting is the sons of Elyon, sons of the Most High, is, is, is like his son um, – B'nai Ha uh, El Elyon, but B'nai Ha Elohim is the sons of God, but it's the same, it's the same thing. They're the sons of the same God, is my point. So this is where you kind of, you have to study deep to find all these, these um, sort of literary and linguistic connections in the original languages of Hebrew and Greek. Now, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, I'm not a Greek scholar, but I, I study these men who are, and I have Bible materials or Bible references that allow me to to learn about different backgrounds of the greek language and the hebrew language that help me understand this better but nonetheless this is the this is the uh, a kind of a um uh, a, a theological storyline that i think it, we have not appreciated i'm not saying this is hidden this is not gnostic knowledge that is hidden and only the initiated can discover this has been out in plain sight but the problem is I think that as Christians, we tend to read the Bible in our own English language, and we miss a lot of the subtle connections of the original language. But 
uh, and the original culture, but we tend to read the Bible in the context of our own culture, and we interpret it through our world. But if you seek to understand the Bible in its original ancient Near Eastern context and ancient Jewish context, it was written to those people for those people. That's where you begin to discover a lot of this deeper, richer material that we can miss if we're just approaching the Bible as, well, God just gave us God's word, and it's plain and simple, and even a child can understand it. Well, yeah, a child can understand it in English, but a child can't understand all of it. He needs help. He needs help, and we need teachers. God gives us the gift of teachers and preachers and such to help us plumb the depths of his word because it goes far deeper than just the surface thing. And, we have, and, and my, one of my messages to the body is we need to stop being afraid of these things that are similar to ancient world, similar to pagan ideas. Just because they're similar doesn't mean it's the same. We can have similar understandings but a different context. So, for example, yeah, all, all the ancient world believed that there were heavenly beings who were in authority over nations. But Israel said, but this is the truth of it. All pagan beliefs believe there was a flood, right? But, but what's, the truth, what's the true version of it? We would argue it's the biblical version because God gives us a revelation. This is what really happened, but that other people distorted it and twisted it as they sought to you know, create false religions, false gods. So we don't have to be afraid of the fact that the Bible is very, has a lot of things in common with pagan religions. You just have to understand, but Yahweh's truth is the truth that governs all those other things. But sometimes we can understand better um, the, the Jewish Bible by understanding the fact that they had a similar way of seeing things to those cultures around them. The difference is that the similarities help us understand it, and then the differences help us understand. But this is how they understood the truth was different from the pagan religions. So what I'm saying is not a syncretism where I like, oh, it's just, yeah, let's just, you know, learn from pagan religions and mix it all together. No, I'm not saying that at all. And, um, but I'm also not saying, but I also believe that we can't just say, let's ignore what, what ancient people believed and let's just interpret it how it makes sense to us. Because that also does violence to, the, to, the, to God's original intent for us to understand him and know him. This is not just a, theological idea thing, as you can see, this is something that affects our understanding of God, our appreciation of God, our, our, our engagement with God himself as we understand the beauty and the, um, the depth of, of his truth that, that, that exalts him even more. That's, that's my argument about this, um, because I know that sometimes people can get into their theological sort of uh we all have our things that are most important to us right and every christian denomination and every christian viewpoint has a thing that's the most important to them you know presbyterians have theirs charismatics have theirs baptists have theirs and on and on and on and that's okay we all have that but we need to be open to each other listen to each other and also recognize that we can learn from different people different christians emphasis and and because sometimes they're seeing something we're not seeing doesn't mean we have to embrace everything but it's the same in the same way we can understand biblical concepts a little bit better if we understand the
the similarities with the ancient peoples around them. And I can go on and on. One of my favorite examples is Leviathan. You know, if you study Leviathan, you know, some Christians take it hyper-literally and they think, oh, you know, uh, it's got to be literal and maybe it's a dinosaur or something like that. I don't think so. I think when you study it, I think that you come to a realization that Leviathan is a symbolic image that is used to theologically communicate chaos. It's the sea dragon of chaos. And the idea is that when they're describing how God brings his order into this world, it's like he brings his order out of chaos. And, and if, if the sea dragon, which is the deep sea, the sea represents chaos to them as well, the unknown and all this. If God brings his order out of chaos, it's described as God parting the seas, right? Psalm 73, Psalm 73, he parts the seas and he crushes the heads of Leviathan. What is that about, right? Well, he's, he's, he's not saying that there's dinosaurs he's killing. It's saying he is separating the chaos, the world of chaos, the waters of chaos, the monster of chaos, and he's going to bring forth his order, which is Sinai, the law, right? The law of God is, is God's order. He's creating his order out of the chaos. So that, and, and, but the way you understand that is you can see that, that the Canaanites had the same concept. Everybody had the same concept. They all used and they didn't think it was literal. They just used it as a symbolic image. The sea dragon was a symbolic image of chaos. And the Canaanites even used the same name, Leviathan, as the Hebrews, right? So you cannot deny these similarities. You have to learn from them and draw from them. That doesn't mean you have to embrace the paganness, but it certainly helps you understand, shed light on understanding the biblical term, at least under the authority of Yahweh, not under the authority of those other gods. And that's kind of how I argue for understanding these words that are scary, like gods. It's like, you start saying gods, you're going to, like, it sounds like polytheism, you know, and it, it, it's, or henotheism, you know, it's like, no, that's not what the Bible is. The Bible is not saying that. We have taken the word God, unfortunately, and we have attributed to it things that are not biblical. So that when we say God, we only think that, it only applies to Yahweh. It only applies to Jesus. But that's not true. Biblically, it applies to other beings. So we have to adjust our usage of the term to the Bible's usage. Just because Mormons or other people do believe in polytheistic gods doesn't mean we should not use the biblical terminology. That's my argument. Well, we have to differentiate well said, ourselves brother. from them. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. That is some powerful preaching there, Brett, my friend. And um, I thank you so much for joining us tonight. Um, this was deep, and I was hoping it was going to be this deep, and it, and it was. Uh, it, it exceeded our expectations, praise God. And I, I just wanted to Great. say a special word of thanks, Brian, for taking the time because you deep you didn't you didn't leave anything. You know, you didn't leave anything just dangling out there that you didn't address and pulled it all together Great. and kind of tied a rip on it. And that was just absolutely a blessing for all the listeners. And I wanted to just say a special word of thanks for having you join us, you know, for, for joining us tonight and touching so deeply upon all these different subjects. What a blessing. Thank you so much. You're very welcome, John. If I could just let everyone know that um, all my books, these Chronicles of Nephilim and my theology books, you get everything exclusively on Amazon. Just you know, look up my name, Brian Gadawa, or go to my website, gadawa.com, G-O-D, 
awa.com. I've got lots of great information. You can learn a lot about this stuff before you buy it if you want to. Or just go to Amazon, and it, it tells you all the descriptions of everything. And, uh, you, and my, all my books are in uh, Kindle, paperback, or audiobook. So any, any way you want to read it, you can get them, and I think you'll enjoy that. And I try to keep the price as low as possible so everyone can get it. Praise God. Thank you for sharing that with you. And again, what was your website again? Godawa.com, G-O-D-A-W-A.com. And he has an, a, an incredible collection of books, folks. So you will really enjoy it, uh, the, the, and how it all intertwines together. Praise God. So thank you so much, Brian, for joining us tonight. Um, what a blessing. And, um, I, you know, I just can't say enough. So, um, again, Godawa, G-O-D-A-W-A dot com. And, uh, you'll see the entire portfolio of books. Uh, this guy's, uh, an amazing author. So thank you so much, Brian, for joining us tonight. God bless you. You bet. God bless. All right. Praise Jesus. All right. And, folks, we're going to go ahead and wrap up the last couple of minutes with uh, try to get a couple of more of these things out. Uh, anyway, if if we can, and if we run out of time, no problem. I mean, we still got some time left, uh, you know, as, as we push forward into the future shows. Praise God. So let's go ahead and uh, move into the last uh, news segment of the program. Praise God. Here we go. So I'm going to try to explain some of the things that are going on right now. If you could see them, if you were sitting beside me, you would be astonished. Your mind would be blown. But a lot of people are not seeing these things. So the best I can do is just try to explain it to you. But anyway, Mitch McConnell came out, and he froze into a trance um, at the podium. So, of course, naturally, anybody watching that, if they had seen that moment of time a couple of days ago, um, you – your, your normal human nature response would be he is suffering from some type of Bidenism. You know, he's, he's losing it. He's getting too old, and he's drifting off in the la-la land. That is not what happened. Okay, uh, there have been several analyses of this, which I have watched, and I'm letting you know that if you do get your hands on, on any of these, you will be able to see a woman with a light green <clears throat> blazer, and she reaches over and she taps his finger. Now, this is witchcraft, all right? And so, but that's, that is just that particular event. We have so many of these entities inside of the government of the United States of Babylon the Great right now, there's no turning back. There is no turning back. They are everywhere. Okay, so um, again, if you could see the video and you could see the zoom up and see this woman intentionally reaching out, touching his hand. Some say that it's two times. I was unable to discern that uh, in the video. It's irrelevant to me. The bottom line is here that it was induced by witchcraft and mind control, all right? Both, but you, you might say, well, gee, that's, that's not, that doesn't prove anything. Well, actually, there are two other videos that have surfaced within just a couple of days of time, by the way. Um, one of them is Congresswoman Stacey Plaskett, who's caught on camera being mind controlled by what the person, the actual person publishing this um, uh, social media post 
correctly identifies, this really blew my mind, I, I was praising God, because we really need to come to a time where people understand what we're dealing with. When Jesus told us to be wise as serpents, he didn't mean be fumbly-wumbly and stuff. We're supposed to know what we're looking at. All right, so anyway, um, so I'm going to go ahead and hold on just a second. All right, let me squint my eyes. I'm going to play this. This comes. This is 10 years ago, roughly. This is Dr. David Jacobs, who's a specialist on um, the alien-human hybrid problem and also a deep dive, super-duper deep dive specialist on uh, the impregnation of women uh, by, uh, you know, uh, uh, so when, 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 Thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of women are abducted. One of the commonalities that he points out in many of his books is that many of them have fetuses that are removed. Then uh, they don't. In some cases, they don't even know that they're pregnant. And then they have. You know, it's just it's it's a very creepy thing. And he he has many books on the subject and has been on many many shows. Well, anyway, I'm going to play you a little two minute fourteen second clip because people that, that were interviewing him were saying, "Wait a minute, why?" Now you got to go back in time, folks. This is if you cannot go back in time with your mind, then you're not going to see. You're not going to see, and this is just, I'm wasting my breath. I'm going to play this for you because I want you to get it. Ten, look, forgive me if I'm a year or two off, okay? I can't remember every little thing. But this is about ten years ago, okay? Maybe nine, who knows? But anyway, I'm going to play this for you. This is Dr. David Jacobs on what is the agenda behind the alien abductions and the... Coast, the our uh, guest, Dr. It, David Jacobs, uh, will be going to the phone lines to get to a couple of your questions uh, in a moment. First, though, I want to... Uh, Ask one more, David, myself. Uh, I remember the first time I interviewed you was back in 1993, and it was right after Carl Sagan had written this article about abductions for Parade Magazine in which he said, oh, this is a bunch of nonsense. It's all just a psychological um, exercise, and, and you tore into him pretty good because he was ignoring uh, a lot of physical evidence. I, I, I'm, I'm thinking that Carl Sagan would really tear into you after it, it, hearing this suggestion that there are hybrids among us. And I, I wonder... If you have, and I recognize there are limits on what you can say, this is, none of this is definitive, but if you have an idea why they're doing this, is it to help them, us, neither? Well, um, we don't know why. Why this is happening in the first place is the, is the ultimate question, if indeed this is happening, obviously. But we don't know why. Abductees don't know why. And from what I can tell, hybrids don't know why either. And the gray aliens who are sort of instituting the program simply do not say. So we do not know why. It's extremely frustrating. Uh, and however, one can extrapolate that they're doing this because it benefits them, obviously, in some way. Uh, if it benefited us, we'd know all about it, and they would have helped us a long time ago and wouldn't have any cancer and stop wars and all the rest of that. But that doesn't seem to be the agenda. Uh, I'm not sure what the agenda is, but the problem is this. All aliens have the ability to communicate telepathically with themselves and with abductees. Hybrids can do that as well. They can communicate telepathically with themselves and with abductees. But it's not just telepathic communication that's the critical event here. It is that they can control or manipulate people, uh, how can I say this without sounding crazier than it is, with their minds, through neural manipulation in some way. We do not know.
All right. So he said the the crux of the matter. I wanted to pass that. Now we've known. I, I've I've broadcast this so many times, so many times, so many times. But as Jesus would say, if you can receive it. All right. I'm not going to worry about that. I, it does bother me. I want to get the points across to people. It's so important to me, but I need to just let it go because some people will receive it and some people won't. All right. So, and it's just the way it is. And I have to I've let, let Jesus be the Savior, and all I do is I show up for work. All right. Praise God. But anyway, reporting Congresswoman Stacey Plaskett mind controlled by alien human hybrid during a congressional session. I have the audio, I have the video of this woman controlling her. She is staring. She looks like she's in some sort of a trance, and she is literally murmuring. You can see her lips moving, and her lips are moving like a nanosecond or two, a couple of milliseconds maybe. Uh, prior to this congresswoman, Stacey Plaskett, actually saying the word. So you can tell that the alien-human hybrid that is behind her is controlling what she is saying. Likewise, a couple of, you know, this is not getting missed, okay? There are thousands upon thousands upon thousands, maybe millions of people on uh, on uh, social media that are seeing these things. Not only are they seeing them on TikTok, they are also seeing them on Twitter, all right? And um, uh, this one guy is doing a really good job. He calls himself Isaac's Army, okay? And he's doing an absolutely fantabulous job uh, catching these uh, on the C-SPAN um, uh, television. Uh, video tele, te, televising or whatever, what, when they're televising the C-SPAN uh, event. Okay, he catches these guys, and he calls them out, and then he zooms in the camera, and he says, look at this guy. And sure enough, every single time you have an individual staring directly at it, its mind control. It's, it's alien-human hybrid mind control, and it is what is happening right now in our Congress, and that is a very, very, very bad sign. Praise God. All right, so, I mean, as far as, you know, this notion about recovering and getting things back to normal and all those other things that the Trump that, that the Trumpy stake are going to happen. It's not. All right. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Anyway, next one up. All right. Business Insider, by the way, is a very strict magazine. They mean business. And their headline here for Business Insider, this is for their Indian division. It says, uh, GOP Senate candidate Hung Chow warns of witchcraft happening in California. We can't let that happen in Virginia, he says. Ah. Well, won't he be surprised? Hopefully he doesn't discover that it's everywhere, which is exactly where it is. All right, praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Next one up. Turns out that the Barbie movie isn't all that it's cut out to be. In fact, uh, now they have a Barbie Ouija board, which is an accessory for $31.07 that you can buy. Oh, and warning, they're low in stock as people are just snapping them up like, uh, you know, uh, who knows? Uh, gingerbread cookies at Christmas, I guess. All right, this is a headline. Uh, why is it always happening on airplanes? It's not just happening on airplanes. It's happening all over the world. It's happening in stores. It's happening, you name it, churches, everywhere. Okay, and in this case, this woman is obviously demonically um, possessed. She's possessed. Possession, when, when, when a demon possesses a human body, it takes care of it, it breathing, the talking, the throat, the respir respiration of the individual. That's the possession concept, okay? Okay, well, this is, uh, we'll, we'll just listen to her growling and doing what she's doing as she's crawling over the top of the seats of the people in the airplane. Uh, and, boy, I'm sure not looking forward to ever getting back on one of those things again. Uh, but anyway, let's pull this up, the audio bite for this. Here we go. I've got to try to move quick. <laughs> All 
right. Now, in order for you to kind of get the gist of what's actually happening here, this woman, who's clearly possessed, is up against the ceiling with her back up against the ceiling. Now, she's not plastered to the ceiling, but she's like sprawled out, legs all in all directions, and she's literally crawling along the ceiling of the plane while she's holding herself up on the back of other people's seats and going through the entire plane. Um, and, uh, you know, it's just absolutely unbelievable. And, of course, the person who uh, published that particular uh, video, in this case, uh, was just like, what is going on here? So, again, next up. NATO members are now openly discussing discussing war plans against Russia. Now, I could play the entire Douglas McGregor, McGregor cut, the video cut or the audio cut on his commentary in regard to this, but the piece that you'll pull out that will sting a little bit is the fact that he pull, he calls it out into your attention. I mean, amidst all these observations, he says, "Now we've come to a point where the members of NATO are actively." And openly discussing war plans against Russia. Keep in mind that this is in the shadow of uh, the White House putting out an executive order calling up. Uh, I told you, and I mentioned earlier, you know, it might say it only they only want to bring up 3,000 reserves. Let me tell you something, folks. It's not how it works. It's in phases, okay? And when they do the initial call-up, when that runs out, then they can move to the next call-up. They can move to the next call-up, and it just gets worse after that. Next thing you know, you get a full draft, and it can even get worse after that. All right, a Conscription, et cetera, et cetera. Conscription is a type of early draft, and then it can get, get like it is in, in uh, over in Ukraine right now, where they're actually going door to door and pulling people in and throwing them in, throw them at the front line. All right, next one up. Praise God. All right, Ukraine, SBU headquarters is destroyed by Russia, okay, and it says images from the Ukraine city of Dnipro uh, at the moment of the Russian missile attack in, uh, indicate that the ballistic missile didn't just skim over the high-rise, but it targeted the SBU headquarters uh, directly from above, okay, so the uh, war situation, you know, that uh, which, by the way, uh, is followed up by the next report. Daily Beast reports that explosions rock Moscow in brazen early morning drone attacks. So now it is very common for the United States uh, Central Intelligence Agency uh, and, and and the various uh, Polish troops that are helping. Look, look, there's nothing left to Ukraine, folks. It really troubles me deeply when I hear – I'm not going to mention any you – know, well, I will mention Scott Ritter because he's not a believer, and I'm not dinging him. But Scott Ritter, one of the things that bothers me, I wish he would be a little bit more for, forthright about the fact – you know, in one breath they're saying they don't have – the Ukraine's out of army. You know, they're throwing you know 15-year-old kids that are scared to death to have no training. In one breath they say that, and then the next breath they say they have some sort of a, you know a, a, a offensive plan. Okay, well, you can't have both. Sorry, you can't have that. So what they really need to do is cut to the chase. Maybe they're just trying to protect their reputation. I don't know. But the fact of the matter is that those are not – most of those, those troops that are doing any kind of a damage at all on the lines, okay, are not Ukraine – you're not these beleaguered, beaten-up little kids that were ripped out of their houses, okay, and tied to, to poles in downtown Kiev, half-naked to punish them. Okay, that is not who, who these people are. These are, they are, they are, they are um, uh, paid mercenaries coming in from all over the world 
but primarily a whole bunch of them from Poland, okay, and which is why they have nuclear missiles that are being lined up in Belarus right now, okay? The situation is increasing exponentially, and they're trying to keep, you know, the lid on it a little bit and not get too out of control. Now, some people do get out of control, and they're putting nuclear bombs blowing up and all kinds of things everywhere to call attention to it, which, by the way, I can understand why, because... The next report says Russian NK-720 Iskander-M ballistic missile launchers, um, which are reported to be equipped with tactical nuclear warheads, have been observed by satellite imagery right along the Belarusian border. Look out, folks. It's getting. And by the way, uh, here uh, in this report, it says World War Three alert. If the Ukrainian forces take control of part of our land with the support of NATO, we we, we the Russian Federation will be forced to use nuclear weapons. This is from former Russian President Medvedev. So the things that Putin won't say, Medvedev will. Now. If you ever had any questions about Disney and their satanic uh, allegiances, listen to this. This is actually from a new Disney cartoon depicting satanic human sacrificing, okay? Believe it or not, yeah, it's really happening. Here we go. Morning again. The sun is shining. The ghosts are screaming. And I'm still here despite the fact that last night I witnessed someone get ritualistically murdered by my dad's cult that I just inherited. Okay, enough is enough. And yes, it gets worse. All right, praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Next one up. Okay, people line up to get their eyes scanned for world coin. So I wish that you could see this picture, folks, because, you know, you just have to imagine a line of people, three across, as far as the eye can see. Folks, this world is doomed. All... I, you know, I don't like to say all we can do is pray because I believe that that is the most important thing to our Heavenly Father. And we need to be praying for the lost like never before because these people got by the gazillions, gazillions are lost and they are so lost. I mean, I don't I don't really think that there is an, an, an uh, you know, an adjective or uh, uh, yeah, an adjective that, that you can use that adequately explains how seriously horrible this is. Imagine for WorldCoin, how fast do you think they're going to take the chip? And I still, while they're pushing, while there's a lot of uh, satanic baby-killing experts out there that are telling everybody it's going to be an RFID chip, I still do not believe that. I do not believe that. It will not be hidden under the skin. It will be an electronic tattoo. It will pierce the skin. It will be unremovable, but it will be visible on the top of your hand. Just like it says, it says it is a mark. Hallelujah. And I believe I'm a very literal believer in the Bible. All right. Praise God. So that's where I'm going to always differ from some of the things that our guests might believe. They may, they may believe something is metaphor. I will never go to the metaphor, not with, with what I know about aliens, intergalactic travel, wormholes, and trillions of life forms across multiple universes that our Heavenly Father has created. All right. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Next one up. All right. The Daily, Ho- the Daily Hodel reports U.S. banks are abruptly freezing accounts and holding withdrawals without warning or explanation, according to reports. And by the way, there are a lot of reports. Let me tell you something, folks. I'm seeing people out on social media freaking out going, I can't believe it. My bank, you know, and it's, it's not just in the United States. It's happening all over the place. But now we're getting reports that it's happening more and more in the United States. All right, next report up. 
National Digital ID at Australian Home. Okay, it reports how the government plans to keep track of every citizen using a universal ID linking everything from Medicare to your driver's license. Uh, here's when it will be launched. And they are, they're showing photographs of everybody being all smiley and patting each other on the back and high-fiving because they can't wait until they can get their ID. All right. Now, I'm going to play this little ditty here real quick. Okay. Don't forget about the UFO hearings. The Hill reports UFO hearing live updates lawmakers, witnesses, and accused the Pentagon of a cover-up. Well, anybody who's been doing any kind of reasonable research. Okay. I'm not even going to go there because, you know, it's just a waste of vocal, vocal cords. Either you get it by now or you don't get it by now. If you don't get it by now, it might be too late for you. Anyway, praise God. And I'm not saying about salvation now. Don't take me wrong, but it might be too late for you to pick up on what you need to know, okay, about what we're dealing with here. All right, I'm going to play this uh, testimony from this guy. He's a, he's a contractor who worked for Raytheon down in Antarctica. Listen to what he has to say. It's very, very important and very relevant to what's going on today. I will start uh, since we have to be brief. I have already given all pertinent information and supporting documentation to the Senate Intelligence Committee and Arrow. They informed me that all of my information will be recorded for public record and shared with Congress. It is that important. In 2010, I was selected to go down to the South Pole Station in Antarctica for an entire year by Raytheon Polar Services as an employee of a third-party contractor for the National Science Foundation. I functioned in a dual role capacity as a tradesman and a firefighter. My responsibilities required me to be more informed than most of my crew and offered me complete access to the facilities. What I learned from this unique experience needs to be shared with the entire world. The technology at the South Pole Station certainly can do what it is presented as its primary purposes and unfortunately much more. The Ice Cube Neutrino Detector is presented as a passive listening device for the purposes of the science as presented. But I'm going to skip right through the chase, folks. Uh, I have provided documentation that proves that the 5,160, what they call DOMs, that are embedded in the ice can actually transmit at 2,047 volts each. That gives us a long list of things to consider. It is effectively a multifaceted directed energy weapons platform that I will uh, list rapidly a few things that it can do. Vehicle detection. We're learning that these off-world craft, on-world craft, ours or other nations are also emitting neutrinos. So this makes the South Pole Station effectively an air traffic control station for this new level of equipment that nobody's discussing. In addition to the ability to detect neutrinos and the exotic vehicles, I have provided documentation that shows that this is also a system for faster-than-light communications. In the past, Gary McKinnon has hacked NASA, found the off-world fleet, the list of captains, and it's apparent that if we have faster-than-light vehicles moving throughout the system, we're going to need faster-than-light communications. This is that facility. Unfortunately, I have other bad news. The season that I was there, 2010 to 2011, we converted from uh, construction to operations and maintenance in both the elevated station and the detector array. Unfortunately, when they first fired it up, that was when we had the earthquakes in Christchurch, New Zealand. There was two incidental shots before they were able to target it correctly. This is an earthquake generating device as well. This is the weapons of war that we have to deal with now and what Raytheon's hiding. There's an ELF system at the South Pole Station that when I was arrived, I was told it was off, dismantled, and completely defunct. 
In my work, I will rapidly just tell you, I had to figure out the circuitry for certain other repairs, and I found that this system is in fact completely energized, up and running, and being utilized with the other systems for nefarious purposes as well. The Atmospheric Research Observatory is uh, in what we call the clean air sector. I witnessed myself a very powerful green laser shooting out of the top of this facility into the cosmos. This, I believe, is a secondary form of long-range communications and or a defense system. I am not saying that we need to be scared of anything that's out there, but please understand the military-industrial complex is happy to invest all of your money in alleviating their fears. <clears throat> a question of power comes into play for all of these facilities that are present. I assure you, I knew what was going on, I knew the load demands of the facility, and all of these new items exceed the demand for the systems that I was presented. I am doing due diligence and research. I believe there is either a secondary power supply there that is either nuclear, that uh, was there prior to the start of the Antarctic Treaty, which prohibits such things, and or that there is some sort of exotic uh, power supply system there that just is not in the verbiage of the treaty, so it negates the responsibility to the parties involved. All right, so I'm going to go ahead. Um, there's only a couple of more seconds left, but I think you get the gist of it. Um, you know, he doesn't know the full extent of its capabilities, but he's, you know, when he's talking about faster than light speed communication with off-world, off uh, you know, otherworldly ships, that's what he's talking about. Now, of course, he threw in there from other countries and everything else, you know, to kind of hedge his bet a little bit, but really he knows. FTL, faster than light, and communications with off-Earth technologies. All right, and also the ability to cause hellacious earthquakes, unbelievable stuff. Um, you know, just I wish, I wish, folks. But anyway, uh, it's it, it's pretty bad. All right, so praise God. So then, of course, we had the UFO hearings. Um, here, let me just play a little snippet of one of these. They happened this week. Really, wasn't that revealing to those of us who know what's really going on? Extraterrestrials. Something I can't discuss in public setting. Um, okay, I can't ask when you think this occurred. <laughs> um, if you believe we have crashed craft, uh, stated earlier, do we have the bodies of the pilots who piloted this craft? As I've stated publicly already in my News Nation interview, uh, biologics came with some of these recoveries. Yeah. Um, were they, I guess, human or non-human biologics? Non-human, and that was the assessment of people uh, with direct knowledge on the program I talked to that are currently still on the program. And was this documentary evidence, video, photos, eyewitness? Like, how would that be determined? The specific documentation I would have to talk to you in a skiff about. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, okay. So, and, and you may or may not be able to answer my last question, and maybe we get into a skiff at the next hearing that we have, but who in the government either, what agency, sub-agency, what contractors, who should be called into the next hearing about UAPs, either in a public setting or even in a private setting? And, and you probably can't name names, but what agencies or organizations, contractors, et cetera, do we need to call in to get these questions answered, whether it's about funding, what programs are happening, and what's out there? I can give you a specific cooperative and hostile witness list of specific individuals uh, that were in those. And, and how soon can we get that list? I'm happy to provide that to you after the hearing. Super. Thank you. And I yield back. 
All right, praise God. So they got a lot of really good um, stuff forthcoming. And, you know, basically, really, if you just listen to what they were saying, it is pretty straightforward. Yes, we have alien ships. Yes, we have alien bodies. And they even talk about where, they, where, they, where they're taking them, where they're storing them, blah, 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 all that kind of stuff. All right, praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Next one up. Graphene, our favorite substance, the, the nanoparticle black evil uh, a, a magnetic uh, antenna that's being injected into everybody's bodies uh, to fulfill the uh, interconnectivity of the mark of the beast and mind control uh, the, uh, technologies that are going to be behind it, ultimately, uh, is now being sprayed in our sky so it can come down in our rainwater and pollute 100% of all of our water sources. So if you look up in the sky and you just happen to see a plane uh, doing doing its chemtrail thing, and and this and you know, and you see like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, those chemtrails are kind of like black-ish. That's one that's shooting down the. That's the graphene coming out. So they're now dumping graphene on us from the sky. All right, praise God, thank you, Jesus. Just remember, keep on praying over everything that you eat, everything that you drink. Stay close to the Lord. Luke ten nineteen. Behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Believe your Bible. Hallelujah. All right, now listen to this. This is a, uh, a bunch of people at a. Uh, an event, okay, and everybody bunches of bunches of people, and they stopped and looked up in the sky. They couldn't believe what they saw. And let's go ahead and listen to this. Better bring it up. There we go. Everybody knows something's up. Everybody knows that is not normal. Everyone is looking up, wondering why the sky is split. Look. Is Signs and the sun and the moon and the star sees roaring hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Speaker McCarthy says that impeachment is being prepared again to Joe Biden. Do you think it's going to go anywhere? Rhetorical question. The Australian on the front page of that particular newspaper has uh, Dr. Fauci, big as can be, right on the front page. And it says, COVID cover-up, Wuhan lab leak suspicions, Anthony Fauci and how the science was silenced. An exclusive article published by Sherry Markson on July 28th of 2023. Where do you think this is going to (laughs) go? Next one up. Australia to restrict the use of vitamins and herbal supplements. They were, that's happened multiple times in the United States as well. Thank God they never got it. I love my herbal supplements. Uh, praise Jesus for that stuff. Uh, and But anyway, they're getting ready to clamp down on it heavy duty in Australia, whether or not they pull it off. Now, New Zealand is leading the charge. All right, praise God. Thank you, Jesus. So we'll see, you know, what happens ultimately. All right, praise Jesus. Next one up. Live television news report about the Chinese biolab found in California. Now, I had seen a lot of written reports, but I did not see now. I don't know if you heard about it, but they found a big old ugly, nasty, uh, dark lab in uh, Reedley, California, being run by China and all kinds of creepy stuff. Well, it turns out that they actually put it on the TV news. Here we go. Let's bring it up here. Coming up now. Government, 25 years. I have never seen anything like this. First at 11, this one is tough to believe. An investigation tonight into a possible illegal medical lab. It was operating out of an abandoned warehouse in Reedley. Inside, mice bioengineered to incubate the COVID-19 virus. The lab was discovered near I and 9th Streets. 30 refrigerators and freezers, some broken, were found filled with bodily fluids. 
Health officials tell us they are shocked at the biological house of horror. CBS 47's Juanita Adame live in studio with the shocking details tonight. All right. Oh, it just keeps on getting better and better, doesn't it? Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. We're going on Zoom very soon. Tick-tock, 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 tick-tock. India cuts off rice exports, causing a panic buying and a humongous price increase worldwide. So a lot of people are out. I don't, you know, I'm not one of them. I got, I got a lot of stored emergency food and plenty of rice. Uh, but there are a lot of people out there flipping out. Um, I... They're saying things like a 40% increase in the normal price and climbing on a daily basis. All right, praise God. The next report is up. Okay, this one is a World War III drill. It says, update, 25,000 United States sailors, Marines, to prepare for a global uh, conflict on a large scale in this exercise in 2023. The exercise brings together the combined firepower of the Navy, the Marine Corps, and six maritime component commands, seven numbered fleets, 22 time zones. And it is scheduled to occur on August 9th through the 18th. I wonder if there's any connection between that, World War III, and the, the uh, 3,000 uh, reserves that were called up, or more. Okay, so we don't, you know, they don't tell us everything. We only know bits and pieces. So it's kind of looking highly suspicious. When you combine it with the analysis of the uh, CPA, or I assume he was some kind of a, you know, a CPA or something, a financial expert, that was doing the analysis on the annual year-after-year military spending that was going on and came out and publicly told everybody, hey, guys, I think he said 13% increase. This is war. We're going to war. He wasn't even hum- – he wasn't saying, hey, we might go to war. Oh, my goodness, we could maybe. I don't know. I want to warn you. I want to be careful. No. He said, we're going to war. Next one up. A full scare war on Niger. I'm sorry, full scale. It should have been typed out. War on Niger is about to take place. The military junta of Niger has released a statement on state TV claiming that they have evidence which indicates the economic community of Western African states, which is also known as ECOWAS, uh, has begun planning a full scale invasion with Niger with, uh, with military support from the United States and France. Okay, then another headline reads French embassy in Niger is under siege. So it has gone through. I could, you know, play this and you'd hear a lot of people screaming and yelling and gunshots going off and everything else. And I and I guess I will because we got a little bit of time. We're not too far over time. So praise God. But you'll, you'll, you're going to hear. Now, here's the thing. What, what, what this does not tell you is there's some enormous, I think it's like 13, maybe it's 14, 15, 16 countries in Africa that have been courted. They've been taken care of by. Um, oh, here they are. All right. So what um, what this kind of leaves out is the fact that um, Putin, very brilliantly so, has traveled. Okay, so he's been he's been forgiving tens of millions of dollars of debt to an untold number of African nations. He's been treating them with incredibly good respect bringing them food, bringing them grain, bringing them things that they need, and and has won their hearts because he was doing a kind, good, nice, Christian, Orthodox thing to do, which is what Russia is. It's a Russian Orthodox Christian nation. 
unlike whatever we've turned into. Okay, whatever. Uh, but anyway, the point is that um, I saw a article and I read um, a good part of it about how the and it, and it had a picture of Africa on it and it showed. It looked to me like it was well over or approximately 50% of the nation states in Africa that have been courted by Russia and are now 100%, 100% on the side of Russia in every manner, finances, cellular services, you name it, whatever. That's very interesting. And if you think that's the end of that, it's not. It's definitely not the end. That's it. It's going to increase. It's going to increase. And when World War III breaks out, it is going to be a whopper. But we are all already know that. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Next one up. Heat wave worldwide. Heat wave pull uh, puts two-thirds of the United States population under heat alert. Now, you know, so what I didn't put on here, because I knew that I was going to run out of time to be able to get out what we did get out, um, uh, is the fact that there are deadly, unbelievable. I don't care what these – these people if, – if you don't understand Planet X, then what are you going to do? You're going to say all those WEF people are lying about carbon, and you know what? They are. They are. They're lying through. They're they're lying so badly. It is. It's 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 unreal. The unfortunate thing is that the opposite side is unwittingly lying as well. They don't realize. They're like, oh, there is no global warming, and then they point to like some sub-zero temperature in some part of the world, and Antarctica is like, you know, 50 degrees colder than it was, and there can't be any global warming. And I'm like, it has nothing to do with either of that. It's Planet X. It's an elliptical orbit. We are in an elliptical orbit around the sun. That is how it works. This is exactly what we're seeing. We've been talking about it on this radio show for over 12 years. We've had specialists come on the radio show and talk about it to support the, fa- the, the, the facts, the reality. Um, I, the, the whole neutrino thing and all that, that's all related as well. As a matter of fact, these entities that – see themselves as gods, when they come out and they say, well, we're the gods of the universe, they actually believe that. Why do you think so? Why do you think that Masons refer to Lucifer as the great architect of the universe? Why? Because he was there. He was there. He was there. That was probably, what, billions of years before the fall? We don't know all the details. Just like J. Vernon McGee said in his book, Through the Bible, a pastor's pastor, okay, from the late 1950s, he said, God hath not given us all the details. Proverbs 25, 2 says, it is the glory of God to conceal of the matter and the glory of kings to search out a matter. And in the original King James uh, 1611 Bible, it had 14 books of the Apocrypha that are no longer in our Bible. That's just the starters. Never mind the 22 books that are mentioned in the Bible that are not there to be seen or anywhere to be read. It just goes on and on and on and on, folks. Would you trust Roman Catholics at the Nicene Council to pick out what's Holy Spirit inspired? Do they even know what the Holy Spirit is? The answer is no, they don't. They don't. They got no idea. They know how to sacrifice babies in the catacomb, but they don't know anything about the Holy Spirit. Matter of fact, there's a story about Smith Wigglesworth. I've read a whole bunch of his books and his uh, uh, you know, autobiography and everything, um, many, many, many articles. And he had met up with a Catholic priest, and they were going on some kind of a tour and everything. And, you know, Smith stopped, and he looked at the Catholic priest, and then he said, 
would you like to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And the Catholic priest started to cry and said to him, yes, I would. Yes, I would. I do. I do want to receive him as my Lord and Savior. This kind of gives you an idea, right? Amen. Praise God. Anyway, we're a little bit over time. I uh, thank you all for joining us tonight. We were able to get out, uh, I'd say, 90-some percent and uh, have a lot of fun with uh, uh, Brother Brian Gadawa. And um, I think I think the show uh, was a great success. It's nice to hear different people's opinions about things and to be able to stitch it all together and go in and do a little bit of Bible studying on our own as well. Okay, praise Jesus. But everything is just breaking loose, folks. Come on. There's, I mean, this isn't something one has to argue. You really would have to be, you'd have to be like my, I love him. I love my brother-in-law. I do. I think he's awesome. And I'm saying that publicly. But he fits into a category that an untold number of probably billions of people. That's why it says in the book of Luke, men's hearts failing them for fear of those things coming upon the earth. And they are coming. And when they come, it's not going to be a good day. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. We're going to be out of here shortly after they arrive. We know this because God has been very merciful. Barley harvest it is in Jesus' name. Father, we pray in the name of Jesus, Luke 21, 36, across the lives, the hearts, the souls, the spirits of every single listener of this program. Father, we pray that it will just imbue their very existence, the very Godhead that exists inside of each one of them. For it is no longer we who lives, but Christ who lives in us. Hallelujah. And the Holy Spirit, we praise you, Father God, for every anointing that you can give us, we pray in Jesus' name. Please, in Jesus' name, amidst all of your grace and outpourings and gentle peace, we pray. Father, please divinely protect each of our jobs. Lead us not into a bad place. Keep us away from the evil one. But Father, please, in the name of Jesus, we pray. Lord Jesus, Heavenly Father, find us all worthy, please to escape all these things that are about to come upon the earth and stand right before you at the wedding supper. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
I shall lift my obedient children to the clouds, for they shall see my glory.